This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies. All for you. We're going to one particular galaxy this Halloween night, ladies and gentlemen.
close at hand Creatures crawl in search of blood To terrorize your neighborhood And whosoever shall be found Without the soul for getting down Must stand and face the hounds of hell And rot inside a corpse's shell Halloween, everybody. You are listening to a live special edition episode of the IPC podcast. It's a Halloween special, and we've never done one like this before, so we're excited to have you join us listening live on channel 1138.com. Or if you're listening just afterwards, you get to keep up the spooky season for just a little bit longer. That was just a taste of all of the scary, spooky fun that we're going to have tonight. And it's going to be an awesome one, so buckle up. My name is Zach, for those of you who never listened to the program before. So happy that you chose to join us here for episode 213. Uh, we've got a really awesome movie discussion, uh, movie reviews, some movie music, uh, a little bit of news, a little bit of everything, actually. And it's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. But uh, I'm not going to talk about this movie by myself, and I'm not going to talk about the news by myself. Uh, I don't want to do that ever again. I did that once years ago, and uh, I just hope to goodness that I never, ever, ever have to do it again. So I'm going to bring in my friend, my co-host, my good buddy. Cannot, would not do this show without him. It's Mr. Benjamin Hart. Welcome, foolish mortals, to the IPC podcast. Yes, not the Haunted Mansion, the IPC, because we've got an awesome show for you guys tonight, and I cannot wait to get into it. And, uh, yeah, lots of exciting stuff. This kind of come up with us at the spur of the moment for us. And we're like, hey, we're going to do this. And we're going to do it as the best way we know how. So, uh, hope you guys are enjoying live and hope you guys enjoy listening in the future because, uh, it's going to be a good one. Oh, for sure. Our topic tonight is actually one that coincides with this particular movie's 25th anniversary. Just two short days ago, October 29th of 1993, The Nightmare Before Christmas came into our lives and into our theaters, into our homes, uh, written and directed by Tim Burton, starring Danny Elfman, Chris Sarandon, Catherine O'Hara, and so many more. Uh, It's only 76 minutes in length, so compared to our discussions of things like Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, this is actually going to be a little bit one of those shorter pieces, but still going to be chock full of awesome content because it's a cult classic, and there's one particular question that we're going to do our best to answer for you tonight, a question that has stumped viewers for two and a half decades. 
So we'll get to that and we'll get to a whole lot more. But before we do, uh, we got a little order of business that we need to take care of first. There's some news and some rumors that have been floating around that uh, that we're going to dive into for just a couple of minutes. One of the biggest ones being that since the uh, purchase on October the 3rd, the rumor mill has really been heating up on the Narnia series hitting Netflix. Ooh. So Nef- Netflix made the announcement back on October 3rd. So it was back at the beginning of the month. They said, we now have all the rights to it, and we have a TV series in the works, and we have movies in the works. But that's all they really said. They didn't say how big the production budget was. They didn't say when to expect it. They didn't say what era of Narnia they were going to be exploring. But... Let's be honest, ever since Voyage of the Dawn Treader came out, Narnia has been kind of a quiet franchise. And there really hasn't been much news. There really hasn't been, you know, a whole lot of things to to talk about or look at or discuss. Because, I don't know, it was more or less a, uh, a fading series. And so, to have this kind of stuff coming back is both intriguing and maybe just a little nerve-wracking because we're not really sure what to expect. Yeah, is this so supposed to be like a a full reboot of the Narnia Apparent- series? Apparently. Wow, okay. Apparently. The stuff that they did in 2010, that's when Voyage of the Dawn Treader came out. Dawn Treader came out in 2010, and I think they made... The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in 2005. I don't think they're bringing back any of those cast members. I don't think they're bringing back Ben Barnes to play Caspian. I don't think they're even getting Tilda Swinton to reprise her role. Although, I feel like she was probably the best part of that franchise, to be completely honest. But from what I understand, this is a complete new telling because it's under new licensing, new ownership. Disney is not having anything to do with it. Walden Media has nothing to do with it. Huh. 20th Century Fox has nothing to do with it. It's it's none of the previous people. It is completely Netflix. And according to the press release, this is the first time that all seven C.S. Lewis books have had the rights owned by one company. Wow. So there's plenty of potential there there's plenty of stories to dive into there's plenty of creative licensing to be had of course one area that really has not been touched all that much that people are begging for and this is where the rumor mill starts to come into play um they are looking at or 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 rumors are saying that netflix is looking at exploring an era that nobody has really touched on save for lewis himself and that is when the Pevensey children actually rule in Narnia. Because the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe finishes essentially with them being crowned the kings and queens as young people, and then they grow up to adults, find the woods again, and end up back in the wardrobe they came from, turning back into kids, and losing all of those, those moments. They don't lose the memories, but they lost the moments. And so what the what the rumors are saying is there's probably about 20 to 25 years of stuff that really doesn't get touched on that much, hmm. that really doesn't get explored. And uh, there's there's a book, the, the third book in the chronology, The Horse and His Boy, that, I don't know, it has a couple of the Pevensies 
making what could be considered a glorified cameo appearance. But it really doesn't talk a, a whole, whole lot about them and their kingdom. So there's war with the giants that happens up north, apparently. There's, uh, there's, there's another kingdom next door to them called Arkenland that they uh, establish an alliance with. There's, you know, seagoing expeditions where they're trying to, to capture some of the islands that they visit in Dawn Treader. Um, there, there's a lot of potential out there for what the Pevensies could do that really nothing has ever been looked at, not by the books, not by the movies. It's, it's, a, it's a fertile ground for, you know, the potential to do something with it. And right now, that's where the rumors are saying this could be one of the first things we end up seeing on Netflix. Interesting. Well, interest, uh, Netflix is killing it these days, I mean, with all kinds of stuff. So, you know, that's, that's really what they're thriving on is all the original content and the stuff that they just, you know, they get their rights to and they make movies and TV shows out of it. So, like, this is, this should be interesting. Well, I'm I'm particularly intrigued by the notion of having a TV series made out of it because I feel like that's one thing that... Uh, that, that Disney and Walden Media never got the opportunity to do because the franchise just wasn't popular enough. And now that that popularity has kind of returned and now that people are a little bit more excited or, I don't know, maybe maybe, maybe the excitement just isn't there at all. And maybe that's why they're trying to, to ease their way into it. They make the announcement and then they don't really talk about it that much at all after that. Right. So, I mean, there, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword because there are the hardcore Narnia fans that have been waiting for eight years for new content like me. I, you know, I love the books. I really enjoyed a lot of the movies. I have a big problem with Prince Caspian, but that's not something we're going to talk about tonight. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's there's a lot of potential in the Narnia series with the talking animals and the centaurs and the, the magic that's involved in there. I mean, look at how well Harry Potter has thrived. Oh, you yeah. Know? yeah. I mean, the, the, the potential for that kind of, of magic and whimsy to, to continue to influence generations to come is absolutely there. And so for Netflix to have that kind of ground to work with is, is really exciting to me. And if they do something that is, you know, completely out of left field, they're not rebooting the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe right off the bat. Like, I, I feel like it's a safe move because you're, per, you're putting out new content, you're providing new content, and you're distancing yourself from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe movie. You know, it came out in, in 05, so you're already like 13 years removed and if you spend a year working on this new TV series and then you, you know, spend another year after that, you're looking at potentially not releasing a movie until 2020 at this rate, 2021 maybe. And by doing that, you're at least 15 to 17 years removed from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It gives you perfect opportunity to recast, to reboot, reset, whatever you want to call it. But at the same time, by having the TV series out, you kind of have that that sense of freshness, that sense of renewity. And I think it's the best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. Should be really interesting. So there's no, like I said, no news yet as to when to expect the, the first installment of this. But my estimation is that they're going to work on the TV series first. And that may... Uh, that may be something that we end up seeing 2019, early 2020. The fact that they just purchased the rights October of this year means that they're probably going to have to do, you know, uh, a director search. They're going to have to do a design. You know, there, there's going to be a lot of 
things to take care of first. So I'm probably not expecting it for a full year, maybe early 2020 at the soonest. So hmm. uh, definitely something to keep our eyes open for, the same way we're keeping our eyes open for any news about the Amazon Lord of the Rings series. It's going to be kind of following a similar path from what I understand, you know, untold stories, things that can be implied from the books but aren't expressly written. Maybe what Narnia and... Lord of the Rings are headed towards with their respective franchises. Very true. Um, so, I mean, that's that's probably like the the biggest news, if you will. I mean, even then, it's just a rumor. So, uh, <laughs> keep all keep all of that with a grain of salt. Um, one other piece of news that we don't have in the show notes. Uh, I actually just saw a friend of ours repost this on Facebook. Um, I'm not much of a gamer, but I feel like it's worth mentioning. Um, Red Dead Redemption Two is killing it with the money apparently um it's it's a it's a sequel to a really really popular game and from what i'm understanding the the gameplay is super immersive i've seen a couple of let's plays and it looks awesome the graphics look amazing oh yeah but from from what i can tell from what the from what our friend chris shared on facebook i'm trying to look for it right now um Apparently, it's it's setting records of all kinds. It's one of the most popular uh, multimedia releases ever. Yeah, like like, like just like, media in general, not video not games, even, not even gaming, just media. Yeah, like, like movies, TV playable. shows, whatever. Like it beat Force Awakens in like domestic or whatever, like sales. Mm-hmm. Like that's a huge deal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So here's the article. It comes from IGN. Uh, The headline, just the headline states, uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 achieves biggest opening weekend in entertainment history. It sold $725 million in copies over three days. That is the second highest grossing entertainment launch Although Rockstar won't be too happy with that, given the record holder is Grand Theft Auto V. So, <laughs> goodness, wow. goodness gracious, seven hundred twenty-five million dollars in three days. That's insane. Three days. Holy smokes! That's so, just congrats, Rockstar. <laughs> uh, Red Dead Redemption Two. Well, they Rockstar. Rockstar made the game is the is the maker, but yeah, okay. Ah, see, I also think of, I also think of Rockstar as like that, uh, that that music based game. I get Rockstar and Rock Band confused. Ah, yeah, yeah. In in several instances, see how much of a gamer I am. I'm not. See, <laughs> I'm not much of a gamer, but I know a lot about gaming. For some reason, I pay attention to it, so that's why I I just immediately thought of Rockstar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I, I'm the one that needs to be backpedaling there, really. But so, uh, so yeah. that's that was my all opportunity in, to shame you for your lack of game knowledge. All in, all in good fun. I'm sure. Yes, it's. I, I just, I enjoy it, and I've got some really great games. Like I've got Assassin's Creed Black Flag, which is believed to be the best Assassin's Creed game ever made. Mm. I've got Fallout Four. I've got um, GTA Five, Call of Duty Black Ops Two. I've got uh, Skyrim. I've got um, Lego Star Wars: The Force Awakens, which is super fun. 
I mean, there's there's a lot of, of really awesome games that I've got, but honestly, the one that I probably play the most is Rocket League. <laughs> like, oh boy. if I'm if I'm being totally honest, I just like using my uh, my race cars to to bounce balls into imaginary soccer goals. That's really <laughs> that's really the extent of my gaming experience. And but that is all you need. It is what it is. Um, some good news, you know, we we reported uh, what was it? Maybe two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. That uh, John Williams had been put on what was it bed rest or something like that? Like he was it at home. Was, I think it was last week when we heard that he was. There was a rumor that he was hospitalized. But I don't think that was ever like official, but he was definitely sick, and he was yeah. unable to do a concert in London. And you know, understandably, everyone was kind of worried. Like you know, the dude's I think eighty three years old. Like yeah. he's getting up there, and even the the simplest illnesses can get you down really bad when you're that age. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah, easily. So I think everyone was kind of, you know, kind of on pins and needles, kind of waiting for word about, you know, his condition. And thankfully, we heard back that he's recovering well after the uh, illness, and he's supposed to be heading back to the United States. I think he was there in London for the concert, then got sick there, and then couldn't travel, but now he's going to be coming back to L.A., where he lives, I assume. And uh, so... Yeah, hopefully he'll make a full recovery and he'll be back making even more music because he's not stopping apparently. Like no retirement for John Williams. Like he's uh he's up in age, but he is not gonna stop. He's making the uh, score for episode nine, Star Wars episode nine, and probably other stuff too. I mean, at this point, he's probably going to be in the middle of composing something, and then we'll have like an unfinished symphony that he, you know just dies in his sleep and doesn't finish it the next day or that, something like that. That is that is, I guess that's the you know the idea that you get from this is that he loves what he does. Oh, like, absolutely. He's not like in a hurry to like he's you know he's probably going to be on his deathbed and going to be like, "Hey, I'm writing more music." Like he's not going to stop. He's not going to retire. Like he's probably I hope he does. I hope he retires and enjoys himself before you know that that you know he he's he eventually um leaves this this planet but uh you know in the meantime it's great to have him great to have even more music from him in the hopefully in the next year or so well i've heard of some people who will work and work and work and it'll be a job that they love something that they absolutely adore doing the same way john williams does and the work is kind of an expression of their life to a certain degree. Oh, yeah. Like, they get they get their vibrancy from the work that they do. As soon as they decide they stop working is almost like the same time they decide they stopped living. I've heard of some people who retire and die the next day. God. Like, yeah. I've, seen some, I've seen some news reports where people are like, this person decided they were done working and their body just decided it was done working, too. And they just like fall. They, they like fall asleep that night and just don't wake up the next day. I feel like that's gonna be what happens to John Williams. Is he's finally gonna reach a point where he's like, I'm done. I retire, and then he like passes from this earth like that weekend or something. Like yeah. that's. I know that sounds kind of morbid because we're talking about how he's recovering well, which is great news, obviously. But if and when the man's time eventually comes. I feel like that's kind of the way it's going to happen. He's either going to be in the middle of composing something and somebody else is going to have to come in and finish the score for him, or he's going to finish it, decide that's his last one, decide to retire, and then he's just done. 
but I like mean, he's just he's just done. done. Let's let's Ling, I'll end on this note. Like, think about like most of us. I think all of us would love to have something. Not only have a talent and a gift that you're known for worldwide, and he will always be known for, but also to be continually using that gift and and want to use that gift and not even want to retire. Like, when you're that age, like, if I make it that long, like, hopefully I'm just sitting on a beach somewhere. But, like, no, John Williams wants to continue doing that. That's how much he loves doing what he does. And I think if any of us can find a career like that and, and go, hey, I, I don't want to stop. I want to keep doing this because I love this. Like, that's, that's, that's you're living the dream there. It really is. It's, it's a fantastic life, and we wish him the best. Speedy recovery and all that. Cause I'm I'm ready to listen to his next piece, you know. Heck yeah! Like I'm I'm ready I'm ready to hear whatever he's got up next for us. Cause whatever it is, I guarantee it's gonna be awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh <laughs> like, yeah! I I just know, I just know. So that that piece of news comes courtesy of Mike Matasino, who uh, who gave information to Soundtrack Fest, and Soundtrack Fest was the provider of the information to Star Wars Underworld. Mm-hmm. So go go to StarWarsUnderworld.com for all of your Star Wars-related news, rumors, release dates, updates, and casting announcements, and even some fan fiction every now and again. Opinion articles, all that stuff can be found through one place. And you can also find certain episodes of IPC on there as well. So be sure to check out StarWarsUnderworld.com on a regular basis. Indeed. Okay, so um, I want to take like five quick minutes, if I can. Sure. Because it's Halloween, right? It's It's the spooky season. And um, even even though we had uh, Nightmare Before Christmas's uh, 25th anniversary, uh, there's another anniversary being celebrated this year. Um, it is, I want to say it's the 40th anniversary. I think you're right. 88, uh, 98, 08, 18, 40 years. It is 40 years since the original Halloween movie came out. Wow. The one the one surrounding Michael Myers and starring Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, who else was in there? There was another. Donald Pleasance was Dr. Loomis. Okay. Um, from, what, from what a friend of mine, uh, Sage, over from the Phantom Cantina told me, he says that they put forth a crap load of money in order to get Pleasance to be in that movie. Kind of kind of along the lines of the big shell out that Star Wars did in order to get Alec Guinness on the film. <laughs> yeah. A very, very hefty percentage of Halloween's um, original budget went towards Donald Pleasance being in the movie, which is just crazy to me. But it became a cult classic, and a lot of movies came after it. And um, this year... They made uh, a direct follow-up to the original movie, so there's some other movies that people consider to be worse or not even in part of the canon. Like the Halloween franchise has a lot of debate over which movies to watch and how to watch them. I'll put it mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. But this one is what I would call the Jurassic World of the Halloween franchise. It's it's something that is directly set to follow up the original movie, the way Jurassic World did with Jurassic Park. And I had the pleasure of seeing it opening night a couple of weeks ago. Nice. Um, we're going to be doing a full review 
on the Phantom Cantina uh, very shortly. So if you want to hear full spoiler-filled thoughts, be sure to keep your eyes open for that. Uh, they're good friends of ours. They invited me on, and I'm going to do my best to free up my schedule so that we can go in-depth about it. But I wanted to give you guys a little bit of a taste, because it's Halloween night. Why not talk about the Halloween movie, for crying out loud? Um, after seeing the original movie, I definitely noticed a lot of parallels. A lot of homage, if you will. A lot of respects paid as far as certain camera shots go, as far as the way um, certain characters were disposed of. Um, obviously, it's it's a horror movie. There's going to be people dying, right? So um, there were certain elements that reminded me a lot of the way Michael Myers killed people in the original Halloween movie, of the, the sense of intensity that he brought to the film. There was some pretty great musical moments. There was a really, really interesting plot twist about two-thirds of the way into the movie. And uh, overall, I rather enjoyed myself. Uh, I really didn't know what to expect going in, and maybe having those lowered expectations helped it become a, a really good overall experience. But, you know, it was good company because I saw it with my friend Mondo and uh, my friend Alicia, and we got to talk about, you know, all the stuff kind of in-depth there, but it definitely left the door open for a sequel, which was cool, because a lot of people thought you were going to get closure on the story of Michael Myers. Well, you kind of do, and you kind of don't. Hmm. And to me, that's really good storytelling, because if you're going to keep a franchise going, you've got to keep the mystery going as well. And so they did that, and um, they they had some some pretty cool moments in there, that uh, I really wasn't expecting. Some things... You know, here, here's my problem. A lot of horror movies or, or scary thrillers are not exactly true to life. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, th there's, just, there's just not a lot about it that makes it feel very realistic, and so you kind of disassociate yourself to a certain extent. And I had a few moments of disassociation because some things were just so outrageous that I was like, that's not... That's not how it works. That's not how it happens. Like, one of the ways that Michael kills one of his victims is simply stomping on his head after he falls. Oh, wow. Like, he just stomps and crushes this guy's head the way you would crush a grapefruit. You know, it just steps on it, smush, things come out. And I'm sitting there going, what the heck? Like, that's just, that's just not how it works. And... So there were certain moments where I was kind of disassociated like that. But then there were other moments that felt very real, that felt very engaging. And those were probably the most thrilling to me because I'm sitting there going, oh, this could potentially happen to me. This could be something that I end up in this situation with and this is how I would react. So I got to give some props to Danny McBride. He's usually known for his comedic work, but he did some pretty good work on the screenplay of this film. And uh, Judy Greer, she was in this movie, and she was also in Jurassic World. So you kind of got a little bit of mm -hmm. that, that little bit of a tie-in there, if you will. Um, like I said, this movie is a direct follow-up to the 78 film. So if you only watch the 78 film before going to watch this one, the 2018 version, I still think you're going to get a lot out of it. If you're going in cold and you don't have a whole lot of background or information on the franchise... It might be a little hard to get into it just because it's hard to follow along if you're coming in without any recollection. But 
Uh, both movies are very solid. Both of them tie into each other rather well. And I, I enjoyed what I saw. It was, it was a, it was a fun movie. And I really wasn't expecting to say that about a thriller slash horror movie by the name Halloween. You know what I mean? (laughs) I hear you. And so to, uh, to, to enjoy it that much, um, you know, if you want to see it on discount day at the theater, then go for it. Uh, it's not something that I'd be like, "Ooh, you must go see this now," or "You will not, you, you know, you will miss your chance." That kind of thing. No, if you didn't catch the Shape of Water in theaters, you missed your chance. <laughs> the Shape of Water is an amazing, brilliant, fantastic movie that I'm not going to talk about tonight. But I'm kicking myself in the butt several times over for not seeing that in the theater. Halloween isn't quite like that for me. I think if you're going to go see it, go see it with a friend so you can talk about it, that kind of thing. But if you end up, you know, finding it on Hulu or Netflix or or Redbox in a couple of months, I think it would be just as enjoyable at home, but still definitely worth seeing. Nice. Nice. So that's uh, that's my spoiler-free review of the movie Halloween. And uh, ironically enough, we open up our movie that we're talking about tonight, The Nightmare Before Christmas, with a song titled, This is Halloween. So let's open up our discussion with that song. We're kind of blending uh, sci-fi symphony in here a little bit tonight, if you will. We're continuing the spooky season with some spooky music. This is Halloween, folks. Boys and girls of you like to see something strange? Come with us and you will see. This is our town of Halloween. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. Pumpkins scream in the dead of night. This is Halloween. Everybody make a scene. Trick or treat. Tell the neighbors on your diaphragm. It's our town. Everybody's scream. It's town of Halloween. I am the one hiding under your bed. Teeth ground sharp and eyes glowing red. I am the one hiding under your stairs. Fingers like snakes and spiders in my hair. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. 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 In this town we call home. Everyone hail to the pumpkin song. In this town, don't we love it now? Everybody's waiting for the next surprise. Special guy. The woman Jack is king of the public pass. Everyone 
Man, what a way to start this movie, huh? What a way to start this show. Oh, man, that's a great song. And, you know, even, even though all you get to do is listen to it on this podcast, it's got some pretty great visuals, too. Like, I've seen quite a few stop-motion pictures in my day, either feature-length films like Chicken Run or, uh, what is it, Early Man, something like that. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I've, I've seen I've seen some, some feature-length films like that, but I've seen some stop-motion, you know, videos on YouTube and stuff like that. But... You know, this this type of stop motion is really, really interesting because you get to have a lot of creativity as far as the creatures that you create and the facial expressions that they have. And it's like Tim Burton just opened up his soul and poured it out into the screen in these first few minutes here. Sets the tone for the rest of the movie. It does. Real quick, real quick. Is How many... Had you seen this before... Last night, mm-hmm. you see, I've, I've I've seen it once. You've seen but it, it was once. a couple. Of, it, it's been a couple of years. I watched it with uh, with my friend Parker actually, who we've had on the show a couple of times before. Of course, uh, I watched it with him and some other friends. But it was probably like two two and a half years ago, something like that. Like we just got spontaneous and decided to watch it one night and. Uh, they turned off all the lights and closed the windows and stuff, and like the only thing that we had was the light of the TV set. It was kind of creepy. <laughs> this movie, I mean, in in a in a cool, nice way, can be a little bit creepy. But the point I'm getting at is that I had never seen this movie before. As I as with a lot of things that we talk about mm-hmm. on the show, I had never seen it before until last night. This movie came out in 1993, I believe. 93, 93. which makes yep. it only 20. one year. Younger than I am. <laughs> it's it, been it's around the, almost as long as I am, and somehow I've just avoided it. Dude, it's the same age as me. Uh, I was born in August of 93, and this movie came out October of 93. So, oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, like, like we're, we're practically cousins or something, if you will. Um, but they started working on it, like, years before that, apparently. Um like because it's stop motion, it takes a long time to finish something like this. Um, it said it took a group of around a hundred people three years to complete this movie. Wow! Because for one second of film, up to twelve stop motion moves had to be made per sequence. That's amazing. So you had to like move and then take a picture, move the arms, take a picture, move the arms, take a picture, and to get one second, it took twelve of those moves from a crew of a hundred people. Like that's just that is amazing. So it is seventy six minutes in length times sixty seconds. That means this movie has somewhere around forty five hundred seconds so it's got uh, 40 4560 seconds in this movie and if it took up to 12 of those motions then that means there's somewhere in the range of 54,000 motions in this film that had to be made by hand that's probably a conservative estimate <laughs> Well, it, it, so the number I got was 54,720, but it said up to 12. Wow. So that doesn't mean that 12 happened in every second of sequence. There may have been more or fewer, depending on which shot you're looking at. 
But yeah, a, a, a fair rough estimate would be over 50,000, fewer than 55,000 motions made in this 76-minute film. Wow. It, it, it really... <laughs> that's a lot. I mean, stop-motion animation really is... It's amazing. And it, it like... There is, you know, there is disadvantages to it. Like, it takes a lot of time and a lot of manpower. Yeah. It takes, I'm sure, a lot of budget. But, like, at the end of the day, it's much more visually interesting. Like, this movie could have easily been animated. Maybe maybe if Nightmare Before Christmas had been released in 2018 instead of 1993, maybe it would have been animated. But it wouldn't have been nearly as just great as it is because it was like they took the time and the detail to make these characters and people just like people aren't impressed with animation anymore they just aren't because like it's so it's animation is its own has its own pitfalls it's very hard to do like animation is very difficult and very time consuming and very very costly sometimes but people know that mostly it's just somebody sitting behind a computer doing it and Basically, it's quote-unquote easy, even if when it's not sometimes. Like, stop-motion animation, there's just so much that goes into it. And when you're seeing this live action going, oh my gosh, somebody took all this time to do this, it's amazing. And really, like, stop-motion has kind of gone away. It used to be the big thing, going back to the Harryhausen days and stuff like that. Like, it was huge. And now, like, we had Kubo and the Two Strings a few years ago. Like, that's about it. And it's a shame because... This style of animation is just so so much life into it, so much so much character, and it really brings a whole new dimension to this movie. Literally, because you're you're seeing this stuff real. It's all real. It's all there in front of your face. Like you, you get that the effects with the ghosts and all this kind of stuff. It's great, but ultimately, you're seeing Jack Skellington as he is, and that's the important yep. thing. That's what draws you in. And it's just so like you see the sets and the all the stuff that they do in the background stuff like that like it's so it's so immersive it's so great dude i i was here here's the thing for a long time i i really didn't do much for halloween and and we'll talk about this in a little bit when mm-hmm. we discuss our halloween memories but this was the one that kind of helped me realize just how much into the halloween spirit people get oh yeah you know like like this movie is nostalgia for a lot of people like oh, a lot, yeah. a lot, a lot of people love Nightmare Before Christmas because they love the visuals. They love the music. They love the characters and their motions and their emotions, the way that the voice actors are able to to emote the, the, the movements and the, the feeling of the characters. And then there's the tone that it sets. It's It's such an interesting concept because as a kid growing up, Halloween was always meant to be spooky and intimidating. But when you listen to a song like This Is Halloween, you recognize that the residents of Halloween Town love what they do. They do. Yeah. They love Halloween. They love the holiday. There's there's joy and energy and passion about what they do. Well, in most cases. <laughs> Enter our hero, Jack Skellington. Not as enthusiastic as he used to be. He still shows up. He still does his job. He's still the Pumpkin King. He's more or less the the ruler of the town, even though there's an elected official that they call Mr. Mayor. Jack kind of runs things. And 
what's interesting is over the course of this movie, he more or less ends up running things into the ground. <laughs> and it's it's just very interesting to to open up with your your star character, the the king of Halloween Town, if you will, being kind of put upon by his Halloween related duties. He he's not happy with it. He's he's more or less kind of upset over what he's doing and what he has to do, more or less. And to to hear somebody unhappy with their work is not unheard of. But to have somebody that is designed to be Halloween related not happy with his Halloween work? A very, very interesting concept to present to the audience, and I feel like they brought it across really well. And I feel like it also, like, in this very, very fantastical situation, like, it almost, it's it's almost more realistic. Like, in the sense that, like, of course, like, someone who lives literally in Halloween Town, where it's all about Halloween... They're going to be like, one year ago, yeah, I'm not feeling Halloween this year. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm kind of over it. Like, dude, like, you know, Halloween, it's great, like, but, like, I'm kind of tired of it. And I love that, like, he's, you know, in the first part of this movie, he's like, yeah, just, I'm just not, yeah, he just kind of walks away, and he's, he's not into it. And, you know, and he's so, you know, getting to, like, discovering Christmas Town, he just ignites this, some that in, in joyous in him, like, this is cool. I can get into this. Like, this is something different. Like, it's just a new world to him. But, like, for Halloween, it's just, like, same old, same old. Like, yeah, like, counting down the days to the next Halloween eh, is kind of boring. Well, it was boring to him. Everybody else in Halloween Town is loving it. Yeah. And, and that that's the interesting contrast is that, you know, everybody else is, is super energetic. They're really excited. They want this to happen. And then Jack's just over here like, eh. <laughs> but you're right. This discovery that he makes in the woods... What I found interesting is that there were different tree trunks for different holidays. You know, you, you had one with a turkey on it. You had one with an egg on it. And then you find one with a Christmas tree, which is it's kind of meta if you think about it, because there's a tree image painted onto a tree. <laughs> I just thought about that. Yes, you're right. And that's the one that he's drawn to, mostly because I feel like the trees that he sees in Halloween Town are mostly dead, mm -hmm. kind of like everything else. So when he sees a full tree, a colorful tree, one that's that seems vibrant and passionate just by the way you look at it, it just looks cheery. It's such a contrast from what he's used to. It's such a contrast from everything that, that he knows and everything that, that he's, you know, built his identity around, essentially. And to have something that's going to turn all of that on its head, he's intrigued by that. And here's the other interesting component that I don't know if anybody's really um, examined before, but I've noticed that a lot of my friends that get really, really into Halloween also get really, really into the Christmas spirit. Like, this movie almost mm -hmm. encapsulates both elements. And that may be another reason why it's such a cult classic, such a fan favorite, is that you've got the the spooky energy of Halloween combined with the Christmas spirit. And watching those two blend or clash, depending on who you ask, is just a really interesting exploration. You know, what happens when you try and have uh, Hallowmas or Christmas ween or whatever you want to call it, you know? <laughs> yes. I, I don't know if I want to call it Christmas ween. That, that sounds just... Ugh, uh, that that, that, that phrasing, though. No, I'm not going to go there. But 
it's just interesting to look at and, and to think about because Jack is experiencing joy when he visits Christmastown and yet somehow isn't able to accurately express that joy to the people around him once he gets back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, he he enjoys seeing that there's there's these boxes called presents, and you just give them because you can. There's there's food that's not still wriggling when you eat it. There's there's animals, and they're actually alive. It's not a ghost dog like Zero. <laughs> it's it's an actual animal. You know, he's he's seeing all these things and and making all of these discoveries and rather enjoying himself, it would seem. But then once he calls the emergency meeting and and starts describing presence, you know, everybody's thinking, ooh, is there some sort of a trap in the box? Is there some sort of poison in the box? Is somebody going to be scared by the box? Or the when, when he starts talking about stockings and they're like... Ooh, is there a severed foot inside of this sock? Like, it's just super morbid, man. Yeah, it's well, super it's, morbid. It's, it's I, The brilliance of that scene in the whole movie in general is the fact that you're taking, like, go to an alien planet that doesn't know about Christmas, has never heard of it, and try to explain it to them. And right. try to explain what the concept is of, Yep, yep. You put up a tree, you give presents, you do this, you do that. It's weird, people. It's part of our culture, but it's weird to everyone else. And maybe oh, it there, very I mean, much there is. could there easily is and probably is countries on this planet that don't celebrate Christmas, maybe never heard of Christmas, whatever. I mean, and so yeah, it's gonna be foreign to them. But yeah, adding the extra layer of these are people, quote unquote people, that are just celebrate Halloween. Halloween is their jam, and they love Halloween, and they are mm-hmm. psyched about Halloween. It's not like this morbid, you know, oh, we're going to kill each other, whatever. Like It's just like Halloween is the best thing ever. It's the best day ever. It is just every the world revolves around Halloween, and they're so excited. And it's not this vindictive, like, scary way. It's just like, hey, we're just a bunch of weirdos, but we love Halloween, and this is awesome. Mm-hmm. And then introducing, hey, there's this other holiday that's even better than Halloween, maybe. And them trying to interpret that and go, okay, this is weird to us, and yeah. we're going to try to put, do our own spin on it. But ultimately, like we see, it, it fails miserably, but like it's all in the sense of them trying to, like, I don't want to jump too far into the movie, but like to the end but like they're putting you know shrunken heads in uh stockings and stuff like that like yeah you know like but it's it's not them being morbid it's like that's what they'd like to receive as a gift that would that would be a great gift for someone in halloween town but they just don't understand it Exactly. The boxes are shaped like caskets because it puts them in the Halloween spirit. Exactly. And and the shrunken heads are in those boxes because if you were to to give that to someone like Jack Skellington on Christmas, he would open that and be very impressed by it. He would enjoy it. And so that's where the, the, the disconnect comes in is because the Christmas holiday has certain traditions to it that are very different from the Halloween holiday. And... Those, those those differences become very glaring in this film. 
and and you know there's only one person in all of Halloween Town that actually recognizes this is a bad idea, and unfortunately nobody listens to her until it's too late. Yeah, you know young yeah. young Sally, the the creation of the mad scientist who can scratch his own brain. Ugh. <laughs> creepy, that is creepy stuff. Like, then, did you notice how later on in the movie he was making, like, a clone of himself, essentially, and then took out half of his brain and put it into the other body, and he's like, well, now I'll be able to have an intelligent conversation. I was like, oh, oh, yeah, no, oh. thank you. And yet now, thanks to modern medicine, you actually can have half of your brain surgically removed and still be able to function. Like, this thing was a couple of decades ahead of its time, let's be honest. But uh, it's like a 25-hour procedure or something like that. So the the way that he just kind of plop, plop, just takes it out. Or and if you want to have a, an intelligent conversation with yourself, you just have two phones. And you just text back and forth. Hi, hello, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? Oh, you have to have two phones? I would just make two Facebook accounts and then use messenger and like message myself back and forth i already have like more than one facebook account anyway forever uh, alone uh, um moving let's, on let's just not get in that go down that road um yeah but it, it is like it's great because and it's so like it's freaky but it's not scary it's creepy but it's not frightening it's right them being completely weird and oh my god they actually did that but at the same time it's about this is their normal. This is their being thing. And and this stuff that is repulsive to us is uh you know quite it's quite fun for them. And well, you know and, y- and you understand that and it's not about like ooh we get into there's only like one dude in the whole place that's like actually like bad. Like everyone else is just normal and fun. Well, I would contest that Lock, Stock and Barrel are kind of creepy. Yeah, yeah, the the, yeah. the the three the three kids that are sent to kidnap Santa Claus they they're just weird man they're just ugh. they're the, honestly I I know that Oogie Boogie is meant to be like the big bad but I feel like those three kids and their song that they sing about kidnap the Santa Claus like that was probably the scariest part of the movie for me like <laughs> if 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 I was in this world, and I heard these young ones singing this song, it would freak me out. Ooh, and if yeah. I and if I was Santa Claus and I met those kids at the door and they said trick or treat to me, I would have been a little confused at first because it's not Halloween, it's Christmas Eve. And then at the same time, I would have been like, ooh, that's disturbing. Like, the, the whole thing was just a little on the oddball side. And... If I if I had to pick like a, a particular sequence that maybe creeped me out the most, it was that song, was 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 that moment of, oh hey, um, you're you're creepy. The the harmony of that song is probably the thing that creeps me out the most because they're all very high pitch, and then you've got like the really intense uh, like organ like music going on behind it, like that whole sequence and the walking tub and everything like that. It was just kind <laughs> of Bleh. like that was that was probably the part that intimidated me the most uh but that's the interesting thing is this movie taps into the creep factor just enough for the the average viewer to recognize that halloween does have some spook to it 
but it's also jolly enough and and delving into psychology just a little bit if you will that as an impartial observer recognizing the disparity between the two holidays you're seeing where things can blend where they can cross over and also seeing where they don't exactly cross over very well so it's a very very interesting approach and it's not like anything that I've really ever seen before. And, you know, to be able to say that two and a half decades and probably over two to three hundred movies later, to say that this one stands out from among the rest, that's that's a pretty impressive thing to be able to say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This movie, like, it really does. It really stands on its own, and it's really something special, I think. And, look, I'm not someone that pursues scary movies or Halloween movies in general. Like you, you described, you know, you gave your review of Halloween, the movie earlier. Like, yeah, that's as close as I'll ever get to actually watching that movie. Like <laughs> that's just me. All right. So fair you enough. Know, and maybe one day I will, but like, you know, most of all, I'm just not, this is not my thing. And also musicals aren't normally my thing either. I like musicals. I've seen a lot of musicals. I've seen plays, musicals, and theaters. Like, like I've, I've seen them, but like, normally speaking, I don't go after, go after them myself. But this one... Hey, Lion King is a musical. You're right, you're right. I take that back. There is... See, Beauty see, and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast is a musical. Look, I have Lion King ingrained in my head. Like, that's how many times I've Little seen Little Mermaid is a musical. Aladdin go. is a musical. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm just rattling some of these off here, bub. Yeah, I think I like saying. more musicals than I. I let on. I've seen all of them, but like, still, I won't like go out of my way. Like, if I had to rate, like, here's my tiers of genres that I like: like scary movies, musicals, the towards the bottom. But this one, and which means that this one has passed me by for so many years. And then when you said, "Hey," Let's do a show on Halloween and talk about Night Before Christmas. I'm like, yes, let's do that because I've never seen that movie and I have been avoiding it for far too long. And now I'm glad I have seen it because it is a it's a classic. It is a classic in its own right, and it's just like this genre breaker in a way. Like it stands tall. It really does. It it really really does. And honestly, I'm I'm glad that you enjoyed it because I I knew that something Halloween themed was going to be a bit of a stretch. Because <laughs> you know I, I I don't I don't mean to speak for you, but I feel like just as hosts, we tend to be more interested in the Christmas holiday. We do. We do. Look, look, a couple weeks ago, we talked about our favorite holidays. All three of us, including Dominic, went Christmas. We love Christmas. That's our favorite holiday. So like. Yeah, we're not like as into Halloween as a lot of other people are. Like maybe say our friend Katie, who is very into Halloween and she, very she much loves is. this movie. Shout out to Katie. Um, but and she was disappointed she couldn't be here tonight to actually listen live. But we'll, you'll listen in the future. Hi, Katie. And uh, so like it's, I think we're on the same wavelength there. But I do I have a more being around people like Katie, especially like gives me more an affinity for Halloween. 
and very watching true. movies and like a, this and gives a better, me a and a better, more and a, and right. for the I was about to say, a better appreciation for the movie and the holiday because of the influences of the people around us. Absolutely. Indeed. Totally agree. Um, you know why she couldn't make it tonight? You know, I was, I was going to have her actually on the show because I knew she would probably end up gushing about it a lot more than Yeah, I was would. thinking the same thing. Like, it would be great to have her on. Yeah, the reason she couldn't make it is because her local theater is doing a re-release to celebrate the 25th anniversary. <laughs> That's amazing. She's actually watching Nightmare Before Christmas in the theaters right now. Gosh, that that would be amazing. Especially if you haven't so seen it before. Cool. Right, if you hadn't seen it before, or even if you just wanted to go back for nostalgia purposes, I 110% believe that this movie is one worth seeing on the big screen. That's crazy. 110%. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm bummed that I, I didn't get to see it, but you know what? In five years, they're going to do a 30th anniversary re-release, you know? So uh, I'll probably be going to see this in five years, and I'm going to go see Jurassic Park when they celebrate its 30th anniversary, you know? Um, there's there's just plenty of, of great, great films that came out before I was old enough to really appreciate them. You know, I was a couple of months old when this movie came out. And so I am looking forward to being able to develop a better appreciation for it down the line just because um, now that I've I've seen it as an adult, I really get to understand a lot of the things that they were trying to tell. Um, I think the storytelling is one that's especially unique. It, it's very Tim Burton-esque. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. And, and one of those those great moments was after Jack is trying to, uh, to, to quantify Christmas. I thought that was such a cute concept, by the way. I know there's not a whole lot about this movie that we would necessarily call cute. I, th- but I Kim... think the movie is very cute, to be honest. I think a lot of it yeah. is a cute in, in, a, in a weird way it's cute. <laughs> I think that's that, that kind of sums up Tim Burton, just essentially. <laughs> <laughs> Cute in a very weird way. The only thing this movie's missing is Helena Bottom Carter, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Edward Scissorhands, cute in a weird way. <laughs> uh, Johnny Depp, cute in a weird way. Yes, actually. <laughs> that's that's also true. Uh, the only thing that, that I would not consider to be cute in a weird way is Tim Burton's uh, rendition of Planet of the Apes. Or maybe, I was or not maybe a, Batman. I was not a fan of that. I was okay with the Batman. Well, I was, I was, I I would was okay say it's, I would Batman. say Batman is not cute. Mm, no, but uh, there, there's some, some cute actors and actresses in that Okay, movie. fair enough, fair enough. I mean, it's got Billy Dee Williams for crying out loud. Tim Burton knows how to cast good movies. He really and does. He's doing Dumbo now for Disney. So mm, okay, if there was ever anybody that could tackle Dumbo, it would be Tim Burton. I'm I'm very interested Let's... to see. And think about it, like it blew my mind to see the Disney logo in front of this movie. To be quite honest, I yes. didn't really fully realize it was a Disney property. The Disney made. I yeah, because, I actually believe that it was DreamWorks. To be honest, yeah, because I've been to Disney countless times. I've seen you see Jack Skellington stuff and. Nightmare Before Christmas stuff all over the parks. But, like, that doesn't necessarily mean it's part of Disney. Like, you saw Star Wars stuff long before Disney ever acquired Lucasfilm at Disney parks. So, like, Disney doesn't necessarily, like, promote just the stuff that they own. They have partnerships with other things. So, like, I just assumed it was just one of these things that just was there. But, like, when it popped up, I'm like, holy crap, this is Disney. Like, I got excited because I'm like, Mm-hmm. And unlike some people on the internet, they're like Disney, Disney, hate Disney, all this kind of stuff. Like I was like, 
Disney has their name on this. This is going to be good. Like, I got way more excited when I saw the Disney logo because I'm like, Disney, this is a Disney property and this is going to be fantastic. So Disney worked on it in 1990 to 1993 only because DreamWorks wasn't founded until October of 1994. Wow. Wow. So I feel like some of the creative minds that split from Disney to found DreamWorks may have ended up working on this film. You know what I mean? That's cool. Yeah. Like there there were there were some people that broke away from Disney to found DreamWorks, but I definitely saw like some DreamWorks type elements in this film and the the ensuing stop motion pictures that we all kind of come to know and appreciate like Chicken Run, Wallace and Gromit and Early Man and you know pictures like that, those are all DreamWorks productions. Yeah. Yeah. So stop motion animation does primarily belong to DreamWorks right now. Uh, Kubo and the Two Strings would be an exception, of course. Unless DreamWorks did that as well, did they? I, I don't I have believe. To, I have to look that up. Kubo. I don't believe they did. Kubo and the Two Strings was produced by... Google gave me what I need. Um, company Lakey? Lakai? I don't Leica. know. Leica. Leica Productions. That's obviously... There was... So obviously not obviously not DreamWorks. No, so, no. You know there there are some there are some exceptions to the rule. This one being you know from Disney, Kubo and the Two Strings being from Leica. So you know there are some exceptions, but I definitely got a uh, a bit of a vibe uh, from from DreamWorks animation. So I can't help but wonder if some of the people that worked on on this movie ended up working for DreamWorks. But um, it's just man. Going back to the storytelling, the storytelling that only Tim Burton is qualified for, there's a moment while Jack is busy trying to quantify Christmas. You know, he's looking through textbooks, he's doing experiments, he's writing on the board, while he's trying to figure out how to logically understand Christmas. Sally is downstairs with this little burned-out thistle down in the garden. And something happens to her. Some kind of magic comes into her area for a little while. And um, the thistle turns into a tiny, fully decorated Christmas tree. And then it turns into a mini bonfire right in her hands. And I don't know about you, but like watching that sequence of events back to back to back made me realize and made Sally kind of realize that the idea of Christmas and Halloween aren't exactly meant to quite go <laughs> hand in hand. Yeah. And it was just a really interesting way to tell it. It wasn't like some vision she had. I think she called it a vision, but I don't think it was a vision, personally. But it was a really interesting way. It wasn't like some magical fairy coming up and telling her. It wasn't like some sort of a bad dream that she had. Honestly, if if she was to have a nightmare, she probably would have enjoyed it because it's Halloween Town. You know what I mean? Heck yeah! They seem like they so, would like they would be into something like that in a weird way, mm-hmm. <laughs> as it is with everything in here. Like like instead of instead of saying sleep tight, you would say something like I hope you toss and turn with a night full of nightmares or something like that. You know, like a a like, good night's sleep is not a good night's sleep in Halloween Town. Apparently. Apparently. So this was like the only way that they could really get that point across to her, that there could be something to this, but at the same time, 
there may not be something quite to this. And uh, it it was just a very interesting look um, right. at, at the idea that maybe this wasn't the 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 best idea yeah uh-huh. she's the first one to realize it and you're and yeah. you're kind of with jack you're like oh this is good this is cool like let's, let's let's do this like they're gonna do christmas like yeah they're they're kidnapping santa claus and they're doing some shady things but like overall this this might work out all right and uh you know sally's like uh no 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 you need to stop this and she's kind of the only sensible one there <laughs> <laughs> to realize, uh, right. first one to realize, hey, this is guys, this is a, this is a bad idea. Yeah, and what's really kind of sad is she's given the task of making the Santa Claus suit, and all the while that she's doing that, she's kind of mumbling to herself, "This isn't a good idea. This isn't a good idea. This isn't a good idea," and nobody's really listening to her. You know, obviously, it, it's very established that the professor that she lives with doesn't really listen to her or care for her. And Jack doesn't really recognize how enamored she is with him, what kind of a crush she's got on him. And so she really doesn't have a trusted friend. She doesn't really have anybody that she can confide in in order to um, actually, you know, cause anything to to happen or mm-hmm. cause anything, you know, to change. And so this premonition really doesn't, do much as they make this transition because as she's making the suit there's a whole lot of other changes going on in Halloween Town what used to be preparation for Halloween turns into anticipation for Christmas but they go about it in a very interesting way because you know Jack's trying to tell them to to make presents and and stockings and he's got the professor working on the reindeer but instead of Christmas hats you're stretching out dead rats (laughs) Yeah. And you've you've got you've got uh, snakes being stuffed with with skulls, shrunken skulls, instead of an actual stocking, and the professor is turning a, a pile of bones into like reanimated reindeer instead of having like actual live ones. The whole vibe is very very dark. And yet, at the same time, Jack is encouraging everybody, telling them what a good job they're doing, because they're embracing the Christmas spirit, essentially, even though we as outsiders know that this is not exactly how Christmas is supposed to look. Yeah, and the the Christmas spirit in Halloween Town is vastly different, vastly different from the the real world, or, you know, whatever this is supposed to be, because, like, they... It's funny, they, they separate, it's really weird in this universe where they separate it out to, like, each holiday is a town in its own alternate dimension, but they all lead back to the real world, quote-unquote. Um, mm-hmm. So it's <clears throat> so it's interesting how they kind of deal with it, and then, like, you know, they, they go and they kind of take over, and, you know, I don't know what everyone in Christmastown is thinking when, when Santa Claus... Uh, you know, disappears, but uh, you know, you kind of keep. I don't know. It 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 really is like, it's it's funny how they interpret all this, and they're so excited to do Christmas, but it's not really Christmas. It's kind of just Halloween in the shape of Christmas. And that's just an interesting concept, really, because if you could blend the holidays, I feel like people would 
definitely try to. But then this movie kind of gives you the reasons as to why you shouldn't do that, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, exactly. Because you're going to end up with skulls as, you know, shrunken shrunken heads as your presence. You're going to end up with monsters for wreaths. You're going to end up with snakes that scuttle around the bottom of your Christmas tree skirt and things like that. It's just like, oh, uh, maybe. Okay, honestly, maybe that is something that Katie would be very into, but it's not exactly something that I'd be a fan of. I'll just I'll just put it that way. Um, but Katie, let's be, let's be honest here. Katie is like one of the brightest lights on the internet. Oh, absolutely. But there's a darkness to her. She likes Darth Maul. Her favorite Star Wars character is Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. She likes this movie. There's something dark going on there. Well, I'm just going to say that that's what's so interesting is, is she finds cheer from, from the darkness. You know, she looks at Maul as a as a beautiful creature. Yeah, yeah. Like like the 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 epitome of Star Wars. She perfection. is a member of Halloween Town. She is this she could live thing there. that has like this dark, like almost sense of humor, but turns that into just glee and joy. And that's why they are able to the people of Halloween Town, not just Katie, um, are able to <laughs> turn that into turn that joy for Halloween, and it interfaces so well with the joy that Christmas brings and the Christmas spirit. Yeah. And it all just fits yeah. so well. And they're just like, hey, this is cool. Let's just ex- be excited about this thing instead of mm-hmm. all this creepy stuff. But we're going to put our creepiness into Christmas and freak the whole world out. Because Yeah, that's basically what happens. That's basically what happens. Because, you know, he he asks the, the three kids to, to go in and kidnap Santa so that he can meet him and offer him a day off. He Now, Im- imagine if the roles were reversed for just a second. Imagine if somebody got caught up in the spirit of Halloween and decided to kidnap Jack Skellington and tell him that he got a night off from Halloween. How do you think he would feel about like, that? They don't even understand, like, for like Jack Skellington... That's just a courtesy. Like, go kidnap this person and bring them to me, and then let them have a vacation. Like, that's that's a vacation for for Santa for Jack Skellington, but he well, doesn't understand that Santa's like, what the hell, man? Right? Because kidnapping is all that he really knows. Because that's kind of what they do in Halloween Town. So you know, to him, it's it's common practice. It's it's what you do. And then after he does it, you know, even after they kidnap the Easter Bunny by mistake, he's like, I apologize for this inconvenience. Like, he's still being a gentleman. Oh, yeah. But he's doing it in his own creeptastic way, which is phenomenal. Like, it's it's definitely praiseworthy. Like, okay, so here here's here's the deal. Jack is actually played by two different characters. Um, Danny Elfman does Jack Skellington's singing voice. Oh, okay. And then... And then Chris Sarandon is his speaking voice. They actually cast Sarandon because his speaking voice sounds like Elfman's singing voice. Oh, that didn't even realize that. That's cool. Right. Like, the two just kind of go together, like, super, super well. And uh, I actually had the pleasure of meeting Chris Sarandon about three or four years ago. Oh, cool. Um it was it was pretty cool. It was actually before I watched Nightmare Before Christmas for the first time, and um, I went to Dallas Fan Days 2.0 or something like that, 
it was the same event that I met uh, Terry Farrell from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Nice. You remember that interview oh, that yeah. I put in there? Oh yeah. Um, I uh, I got to I got to interview her, but I also got Sarandon's autograph for my friend Becca, because at the time she was the biggest Halloween Town fan that I knew, and so I actually got him to make it out to Becca, and got to ask him a couple of questions about you know his his career and how he's enjoying his time in Dallas and that kind of thing. Very nice guy, but he, he he had his publisher like breathing down his neck. He had like his publicist, not publisher, his publicist breathing down his neck. So when I mentioned that I had a podcast, he oh, was like, oh, n- oh, nope, no media requests, no interviews. Sorry. Bye. Yeah, they're like, oh, God, so, this guy's going to freaking be annoying and ask questions. This, and this maybe he's secretly recording the, the conversation. Yeah, I mean, as a journalist, I'm legally allowed to do that in the state of Texas. Oh, really? Um yeah, according to Texas privacy laws, you're allowed to record the conversations that you have as long as one of the two parties engaged in the conversation is aware that the recording is happening. It's legal. Wow, that's that's crazy. Yeah, so like I could have technically recorded any conversation that I had while I was there, and it would have been legal. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Have you been recording our conversations? Uh, I kind of have to so that the people on iTunes can listen to what we say. Oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you goober. Okay. So that's that's my little my little blurb there about meeting Chris Sarandon. No, Very nice awesome. guy. I, um, I love even the, like, like you got the star of this show. Like, mm-hmm. that's huge. And, like, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I feel bad that I didn't know his name. Like... Mm-hmm. You know, and he's so good in this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jack Skellington is like, he he's the star of this movie, obviously, for obvious reasons. His his design is very unique. He doesn't look anything like the other characters. Mm-hmm. And his spirit is very different. Like, you can tell that everybody else kind of feeds off of Jack's energy, which is why he presents himself in such an energetic, enigmatic way at the beginning of the movie. And then he slouches afterwards. You know, nobody really notices how upset and depressed he is because he carries that face around to make sure that nobody else in Halloween Town gets down. And he doesn't call the the meeting until after he's been able to do some experiments of his own. He wants to make sure that Christmas is an idea that is safe to present to the rest of the town. And so before he comes up with a way to, you know, introduce Christmas to everybody, he's checking it out himself. The epitome of a true leader, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he's he's just a fantastic character and he's fantastically played. It's a fantastic movie. Like, obviously, we wouldn't have this podcast, this episode, if we didn't enjoy what we saw. But, you know, we've got a couple of, of, of moments where... After Jack decides to give Santa his holiday and he actually heads off to Christmas Town and he decides that he's going to be Santa Claus that night, things really, really start to backfire on him. And he doesn't realize that what he's doing isn't well received until he realizes that those those shots that are going up into the air are meant to hit him. He's He sees the... And I love the... The whole, like, it's very, like, the whole movie is very, like, fairy tale. 
you know, Halloween town, Christmas town, very thing. Then they get trenches to the real world. It's like, oh yeah, the American military is shooting at Jack Skellington. Like, like that's a thing yep. that's happening. And he's like, oh, they they are they're appreciating, right? They're, they're celebrating. They're sending fireworks to us. Like he he's totally naive still exactly. until they start hitting his coffin. Yeah, and and by then it's a little too late, you know. Yeah. Like, like by then he he's realizing that the stuff that he's doing is not being very well received, but he's not exactly sure why either. He's like, I'm doing all the things that Santa Claus is doing. Why are they not appreciating this? And so it's it's kind of like a, a sad moment as well because he's he's recognizing that all the the quantification that he tried to do, all the jobs that he delegated, all of the all the work that he put into it, the kidnapping that he went to, you know, the, the the trouble that he put himself out for was all for nothing. And so he kind of has this this revelation that's like, wow, these people are completely ungrateful for what I've done. And maybe there's something to that. Maybe I'm only meant to be the pumpkin king. You know, and what's really cool is this is just my take on it. And you can correct me if you got a different vibe, Ben. But that second song that he sings when he kind of has that realization, it's almost like the energy and the vibe that he picked up from Christmas Town was enough spirit to reinvigorate his passion for Halloween again. Because he talks about how next year he's going to be bigger and badder and better than ever or something like that. Which is a complete 180 from his lament at the beginning of the film. So it's like he's got a renewed sense of vigor. He's got a renewed passion. And the only reason that he was able to get that renewed passion was because of the efforts that he put in to Christmastown. Right. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. Did, did did you sense a correlation? Did you sense a causality between those two? Like, because of Christmas, he now has a better appreciation for Halloween. Well, yeah, I think that's the whole point of his arc is that he he goes down this path of I'm I'm tired of Halloween. I'm over it. Like as anyone naturally would be. It kind of it's getting old for him, and going down the path of let's get excited about something else for a change and then coming back from that and going, I screwed this up big time. But then going, I can take from this and go, I can get excited about Halloween again and I can do things differently or whatever and, you know, make things better in the long run. And, you know, I think it gives a new new appreciation that this thing that I was excited about didn't work out, but still the thing that I was originally excited about, like, it's just getting a new perspective on it. And I think, yeah. you know, sometimes, you know, people say, try new things. Could be anything. Mm-hmm. Could be food. Could be whatever. Like, sometimes you try new things. Sometimes they're good and you appreciate something else. Sometimes you try new things and it sucks. And you go, wow, I appreciate that thing a lot more. That first thing that I ate or enjoyed or whatever, a lot more now because I ate this other thing. That sucked. So I think that's Jack's journey is that he 
didn't enjoy Halloween, but he went and enjoyed Christmas for a while, then realized Christmas wasn't for him, came back to Halloween and went, okay, I got a new perspective on this. I can actually enjoy this in a different way and have a new perspective on it. Well, and I think what he also realized was, I'm not cut out for Christmas, but I am cut out for Halloween. Like, he he fully recognizes and embraces the fact that he is the Pumpkin King. That Halloween is his groove. That mm-hmm. is his area. That is his lane. And he now knows to stay in this lane and excel at it. That is his niche. And he knows just how to scratch it. I don't know necessarily if he fully thinks that Christmas sucks, per se, his his experience with Christmas may have sucked. Right. But I think he still appreciates the joy and and the livelihood that you can get from it because he uh he ends up trying to save Christmas. You know, he recognizes that what he did wasn't appreciated, but he also recognizes that he has it in his power to return Santa to Christmas Town and try and save the day. So I think he still does appreciate Christmas and recognizes that it's just best left to the Christmas experts. Right, right. And it's, you know, he he recognizes the error of his ways of trying to take over someone else's holiday. (laughs) Maybe just stay in your lane and do what you know is best. And realizing that even though they were all excited about it, everyone in Halloween Town, that doesn't mean the rest of the world is excited or even understands what's going on. Um, so, you know, I think that's the whole moral of the story is like, hey, you know, stick to what you're good at. Don't try to branch out too much because ultimately it could end in failure. Um, and you, 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 uh, you know, you, you know where you're, you stay in your comfort zone sometimes. Yeah. And, and maybe we get too complacent in our comfort zones. Maybe that's, you know, just what we're used to. We get into a rhythm and then that rhythm becomes too repetitive. It becomes too redundant. And you need to mix things up a little bit. You need to spice things up a little bit. But then once you recognize what it is that you're good at, don't treat it as, you know, monotony. Just treat it as your specialty. Treat it as the thing that you're good at. Uh, one thing that my professor always taught uh, when I was in college, well, I make it sound like I'm so far removed from it. I'm only a year <laughs> removed and I'm in grad school. But one of my professors as an undergraduate suggested this idea of um find your lane yeah find yeah. your lane and that's basically what jack did he he went over um into another lane um and and tried it for a while and it wasn't exactly the best experience but he then got a deeper appreciation for what he was good at. He found his lane in this movie. Yeah. Which is, yeah, yeah. Which is, which is really, really cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so he has this fight with the Oogie Boogie, who is apparently like the boogeyman of Halloween town. Imagine how scary that guy must be. If the people of Halloween town are scared of this guy, you know, like he was he was just um he he was just super intimidating apparently and he ends up having a really really climactic fight that you know he and Sally and Santa all end up you know escaping from his grip 
and Santa's able to save Christmas. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not Jack that saves Christmas. And and he thought he would be, or he thought he'd at least make a decent substitute. But he recognized that the only person who could save Christmas was the Christmas expert. And he deferred to Santa. <laughs> and Santa ended up saving the day, which I thought was a really cool creative element to uh, to wrapping up the story. Yeah, and Santa wasn't like, oh, hey, nice nice to see us, Jack. He was, like, pissed. He's like, oh, get yeah. out of my way. Like, you you screwed everything up. Like, you know, let me go fix this. I'm Santa Claus. I'm going to fix this. Yep, rightfully so. And and he does. He very much does, um, which makes for a really cool kind of conclusion mm-hmm. is like, you know, the the big bad is defeated. Christmas is saved. Jack recognizes, you know, what his groove is and and where to go from here. And then the picture perfect blend of Christmas and Halloween in my mind is when the very end of the movie, you experience snow over Halloween town. I, I don't know about you, but my heart melted a little bit when I saw that scene. <laughs> Yeah. Like I I very very much enjoyed like having that kind of closure and full circle and a beautiful blend of the two holidays. You know, you you're living in Halloween town, sure, but that's no excuse Santa as to why you says, can't have Santa says happy snow. Halloween, Jack says merry christmas back to him. Love that. It's it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And you know what else is beautiful is the soundtrack. Yes. From this movie. And, you know, I really don't want to talk about the music too much. Um, usually around this point in the in the discussion, in this point of the show, we go to a commercial break or an ad break. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to hit the quote-unquote pause button on the discussion, if you will. But because it's Halloween and because it's a great musical, it's a great movie, and because it's Nightmare Before Christmas and because it's an IPC special, we've got all kinds of justification for doing what we're about to do. Because of all these things, our break isn't going to be a traditional break. It's going to be a musical break. We've actually got some songs from from the soundtrack lined up for you all to listen to tonight. And then we're actually going to have one other song as our quote of the night. So we got a lot of music ahead for you. And uh, we're going to just start with Jack's Lament, go through some of the highlights, and then we'll come back with some more discussion of Nightmare Before Christmas on the flip side. We will see you then. There are few who deny it. What I do, I am the best. For my talents are renowned far and wide. When it comes to surprises in the moonlit night, I excel without ever even trying. With the slightest little effort of my ghost-like charms, I have seen grown men give out a shriek. With the wave of my hand in a well-placed bow, I have swept the very bravest off their feet. Yet year after year, it's the same routine, and I grow so weary of the sound of screams. And I, Jack the Pumpkin King, have grown so tired of the same old Oh, somewhere deep 
inside of these bones and emptiness began to grow there's something out there far from my home along in that I've never known I'm the master of fright and a demon of light and I'll scare you right out of your pants to a guy in Kentucky I'm Mr. Unlucky and I'm known throughout England and France and since I am dead I can take off my head to recite Shakespearean quotations no animal nor man can scream like I can with the fury of my recitations but who ever understand that the pumpkin king with the skeleton grin would tire of his crown if they only understood he'd give it all up if he only could oh there's an empty place in my bones that calls out for something unknown the fame and praise come year after year does nothing for these empty tears greetings this is Obi-Wan Kenobi and I have drifted into the underworld. The Star Wars underworld. I have a bad feeling about this. Hey y'all, this is Ben Hart here. I know y'all just heard me on the IPC talking all things geeky and fun. Now I'm here to tell y'all about my other podcast. It's called The Star Wars Underworld about all things Star Wars. We talk Star Wars The Clone Wars, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Star Wars Last Jedi, Rogue One A Star Wars Story, and so much more. I record it with my friends Chris and Dominic who are here to tell y'all all about it. Hello Chris. Hello Ben. I'm so excited to talk about Star Wars this week. It's fun. It's funny. We're going to have a great time. Hey guys, I am so nostalgic for mall packaging, and I love being on the Star Wars Underworld podcast talking all the latest Star Wars news. Well, now that y'all had a little taste of the show and you know what to expect, you should check out more episodes by going to StarWarsUnderworld.com or by searching for the show on the iTunes, the Apple Podcast, the Google Play, and all sorts of things. And may the Force be with y'all. It's a wrap, eh? This is IPC. Hey there, everybody. It's Sage from the Night Force Media Network, and I'm here to tell you about our new show, The Fandom Cantina, and why you need to tune into it. Also here to talk about it is... um. Uh, Oh, yeah, right. It's Mondo. Wait, wait, wait. So you think I'm like, like an afterthought? Let no, me tell no, you but... something, okay? 
You act like I don't know anything about Star Wars I, I never and the said Force that. Or, uh, or other movies. I'll have you know I was a Movie Pass subscriber, okay? And I subscribed Wait, to but... A-List, and you act like I don't know anything about television. You no. know, like all those fancy shows and video games. Let me I, tell you something, I man. I have beaten 50 video games this year alone, and 50? you don't think that I like making odd-numbered list countdown lists up? Oh, uh, you are you are sadly mistaken, sir. So yeah, that's what our show's about. You can catch us 10 p.m. Eastern Wednesday nights. Mixler's Night Force Media. See you then. Wanna do it? Let's draw straws. Jack said we should work together. Three of a kind. Birds of a feather. Now and forever. Better plan to catch this big red lobster man. Let's pop him in a boiling pot, and when he's done, we'll butter him up. Kidnap the Sandy Claus, throw him in a box. Bury him for 90 years, then see if he talks. Then Mr. Oogie Boogie Man can take the whole thing over then. He'll be so pleased, I do declare. That he will cook a That we take a cannon, aim it at his door, and then knock three times, and when he answers, Sandy Claus will be no more! You're so stupid, think now if we blow him up to smithereens, we may lose some pieces, and then Jack will be just black and green! Kidnap the Sandy Claus, tie him in a bag, throw him in the ocean, then see if he is sad, because Mr. Oogie Boogie is the meanest guy around. If I were on his boogie list, I'd get out of That is holiday music you're listening to in the background, but don't change that dial just yet. This is Arash from The Sith List, and I'm here to talk to you about the Kessel Toy Run, Episode 2. Join forces this holiday season like we did last holiday season, and get together 
and donate a new Star Wars gift to a hospitalized child and family unable to spend the holidays at home. Now, our boy Brandon setting this up. He did it last year and he did an amazing job. And the gifts were just unbelievable. Got out to so many wonderful kids that are spending their holidays not at home. This toy drive is going to go from October 15th through December 20th. And all you have to do is go to Amazon.com and under account, click on find a list or registry. Go to search and I want you to put in the Kessel Toy Run at gmail.com. Then you click wish list. Choose your items slash items you'd like to buy. Then send your selection to the address, which I'm going to give right now. Send it to Brandon Manriquez, P.O. Box 7232, Long Beach, California, 90807. Now, if you don't want to use Amazon, it's all good too. If you want to go to Walmart or you want to go to Target, and you want to find a gift on your own, just send your items to the address that I listed, and that's Brandon Manriquez, P.O. Box 7232 Long Beach, California, 90807. So you might be asking, how is Brandon going to distribute all this by himself? Well, he is. He's got some help. Toys will be distributed by the Child Life Program at Miller Children's and Women's. Also, our friends, the Rogue Rebels and Saber Guild Temple Prime. When you make that selection, I want you to go on Twitter and tag at Making Star Wars and also tag us at The Sith List. But I definitely want you to tag at Kessel Toy Run. That's at symbol T-H-E-K-E-S-S-E-L-T-O-Y-R-U-N. And are you in? Oh, hell yeah, you're in. Because this is a great thing to do. It's the holiday seasons. Let's put a smile on these kids' faces. This is what fandom is all about. Guys, thank you. And I can't wait to see what you guys get for these wonderful kids. Compliments 
from me to you, I miss your most intriguing hat. Consider, though, this substitute. A bat in place of this old rat. <laughs> no, 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 now that's all wrong. This thing will never make a present. It's been dead for much too long. Try something fresher. Something pleasant. Try again. Don't give up. All together, bat and this will fall out. This will make it Christmas time. Folks, hopefully you enjoyed some of that Halloween soundtrack. It's just part of the fun that we've got in store for you tonight. You're listening to episode 213 of the IPC podcast. We will throw in the commercial break for people who uh, listen on iTunes and Google Play and Podbean and all those good places because we've got some fantastic partners that uh, we could not want to do this show without them. So, uh, be sure to listen to the SWU and to the Phantom Cantina and any other partners that we may have uh, going into the future. But speaking of partners, we've actually got a surprise partner in crime. We were talking about her at the top of the show and basically comparing Halloween Town to her soul, more or less, for a couple of minutes there. Not sure how accurate it was or if she's going to take that as a compliment, but we have Miss Katie Horn on the program for this last little bit. Katie, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to be a part of this special evening. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Oh my goodness. I am so glad to be here. I'm I'm so excited to hear your thoughts about this movie because I've never met anybody that's never seen The Nightmare Before Christmas before. Yeah, um, he was, ben, yeah. ben was a, a complete virgin and I'd only seen it once previously. So, oh, wow. Like, it, was, it was very new to, to both of us. It was, it was more of a refresher course for me because, like I said mm-hmm. at the top of the show, I only saw it like once and it was probably two, three, maybe four years ago. Wow. And so I'm a, I was a little removed from it. I was a little rusty. Obviously, I remembered a lot of the musical scores. Uh, mm-hmm. The soundtrack is one of the things that just kind of stands out to you probably more than oh, more than a lot of things. I mean, not to discredit the characters, not to discredit the, the set design or the stop motion animation. A lot of the things that just make this a, a very complete movie. 
but mm-hmm. the the musical aspect i mean ben mentioned not being a fan of musicals so i'm i'm glad that i get to talk to a musical fan now for a couple of minutes here oh absolutely T- yeah. tell, tell me your thoughts on the music what did you make of this soundtrack from from what i understood um elfman wrote most of if not all of these songs and he said they were probably some of the easiest songs to create because mm-hmm. Jack Skellington's character spoke to his soul. I, oh, I believe that. I just, I yeah. just love the way that he put that. Yeah, there's, it's very soulful music. It feels very earnest. I, I would absolutely believe that these songs just poured out of Elfman. Uh, just uh, the way he pours himself into the music. It, it, it's almost like an Ouroboros, you know, did this, did he create this music or did, was the music already created in him? Mm. You know, like what, it, it's just so perfect. <laughs> I start listening to the soundtrack in June, honestly. And then I listen to it until, until the end of Christmas. That's, <laughs> that's how long I listen to the soundtrack. Oh. So it's, it's Christmas I, in July for a little bit there, I suppose. Oh yeah, well, it, um, and, basically my tradition is the first day of summer, uh, June twenty first. That for me is the first day of Halloween. <laughs> I, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of summer. Uh, obviously, some people love it, and there's things about summer that I enjoy. You know, uh, barbecues, you know, backyard cookouts, those kind of things I enjoy. But by and large, I don't love summer, so I just pretend it's Halloween. <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of an ironic thing for a Californian to say because I've experienced California <laughs> summers, and it's like 70, 80, 85 tops. <laughs> yeah, it's not that bad actually. Yeah, it's actually we're really spoiled. It's, it's, it's a rather temperate summer to be quite honest because here in Satan's armpit. We topped out at 114 heat index one day in the heat of summer. I'm just like, I'm sitting on the beach with an iced tea and a nice breeze and, you know, the waves crashing. And I'm like, oh, summer. (laughs) Somehow I endure. You're you're going, you're sitting there going, oh, summer. And then I was in San Diego back in, I want to say July. Yeah, I was in San Diego for a weekend in July and I had you know, 70s weather and like clear yep. blue skies. And I was sipping a nice tea and I was going, ah, summer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but oh my gosh, you know, I'll tell you uh, at Disneyland out here, we have, we have uh, Disneyland, another great reason to visit me in California. Oh, heck yeah. Um, and the, the Haunted Mansion each year gets taken over by Jack Skellington. You know, that's the I story that. that they tell. I mm-hmm. read that online, that a lot of the, the music and stuff gets played mm-hmm. over the loudspeakers in the Haunted Mansion. And it's exactly. it's as if you're reliving elements of Nightmare Before Christmas in the mansion. Oh, it's wonderful. And, well, that's the thing, is that for the very the very first year they did that, that ride, that holiday takeover of the Haunted Mansion, they did not use the music from the movie. They tried to write original stuff Uh-oh. to bring this story to life, and people rioted. Really? People, they, they, yeah, people complained so much. They were like, it doesn't sound like The Nightmare for Christmas in there. Why did you take away this great music? Wow. <laughs> Why would you give us something new and... and Yep, they put they put in, you know, all this original great music from from the movie and it's it's so much better. And they actually made a soundtrack of of the original the very first music that they wrote for for the ride for the mansion. Mm-hmm. 
and and they they produced that music once and and then never again because people hated it so much and so if you want the cd it's like two hundred dollars you have to buy it on ebay or something oh my gosh yeah they're really hard to find but apparently it's like super not worth it because you then you listen to this music and you're like oh this is not what i expected <laughs> i'm sure there's like a pirate site out there somewhere where you can find oh, it definitely. for much less but mm-hmm. that does not mean i'm condoning piracy on this program <laughs> of it's, course not it's, of course not. it's pure speculation come on folks calm down yeah. oh, i love i love that ride so much the 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 haunted mansion takeover by jack skellington because the the story of the haunted mansion like by default if you just go ride the haunted mansion most time you know of the year um, it's supposed to be like a retirement home for ghosts. You go inside this haunted house and all the ghosts are, you know, they're just living there and having fun and throwing parties. You, you know, you, you think you're going to get scared, but no, the ghosts are just having fun. Just, it's, it's a big okay. joke, you know? So, but then the story is that, well, Santa would not bring Christmas to ghosts, right? That's not his job. <laughs> He cares about the children of the world, not the ghosts. And Jack, seeing this, felt really bad for the ghosts and has decided to bring Christmas to them in his own special Jack Skellington way. So, of course, it's a really scary Halloween, uh, not Halloween, uh, Christmas inside the Haunted Mansion, the way Jack does it. And uh, the ghosts like it just fine. (laughs) Wow. You know? It's it's so cute. I love it so much. And they do it at Disneyland. They do it every year, um, uh, Halloween through Christmas. And, and of course, I always go visit it because I love it so much. <laughs> like, you see, I if I if I had something like that to take advantage of, I totally mm-hmm. would. But oh, yeah. the, the closest thing that I get around here is uh, Fright Fest at Six Flags. Oh. And it's fun. But that's supposed to be scary, right? It's, They're actually trying to scare it's, you. <laughs> it's fun, but it, it's meant to be more intimidating than whimsical. So yeah. if, if there was a way to blend it the way that they blend... Um, you know, uh, the, the nightmare before Christmas, mm-hmm, that would, mm-hmm. that would be so cool. So, you know, here, here's the thing. I went to, uh, to California December of 2016 to go see oh. Rogue One. Cool. But I was there with a bunch of pansies. Oh no. <laughs> and, uh, you, you may not know this, but our, our station manager here at channel 1138, Chris Siegel does not enjoy thrill rides by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> oh dear. He considers the Ferris wheel at California adventure to be a thrill ride. Okay. It is kind of scary. It's really tall and they lock you in. Like, you know, it's, they, it's a bit, it's a bit like a bird cage, but he didn't yeah. even want to get on one of the, the, the swinging chairs. He wanted one of the oh, stationary no. ones. Oh, well, the swinging, those also, because they drop down, you know, they, it, I, I haven't ridden the swinging ones either. Those, those also terrify me. That's, I'm sorry, but that's really scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I didn't get to go on any of the roller coasters oh, or, or anything oh. like that. I, I actually went on one roller coaster and it was in the singles line and nobody shared a seat with me. So I literally rode that coaster by myself. <laughs> Oh, that's so sad. And it kind of bummed me out and kind of turned off yeah. the idea of like going and riding stuff by myself because I was like, okay, well, at least I'll make a new acquaintance maybe. Uh, no, no, you're riding solo, yeah, buddy. Yeah, exactly. Because everybody's like there with their families. And now I'm like imagining one of those like ride photos, you know, of like uh, uh, that they take of you when you're on a roller coaster <laughs> and everybody's all like, woo! And there's like Zach Arnold sitting there like by himself. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, like, arms like, if, like, like if, if I was if I was on Splash Mountain, it would be like everybody has their arms up in the air and I'm sitting there arms crossed looking to my left going, why is this seat empty? 
that would that would be my ride photo. <laughs> it's also kind of a microcosm of the story of my life. Why is this seat next to me empty? That could be like oh. that could be oh. like that could be like that's my like a... that could be like my biography if I wanted it to. Yeah, be. that's like a really sad story. <laughs> yeah, also a, oh also a short story because I'm only. Tw- I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you the uh, this uh, last time I went to Disneyland about a month ago. Um, I mm. did the the Jack Skellington meet and greet. They have a you know a guy dressed up. Oh, of course, he'll cool. tell you he's the the real Jack Skellington. And and you know I won't I won't disagree. He is the really real Jack Skellington. So uh so everybody's all lined up to to meet Jack, and I am very first in line. Of course. And uh, and finally Jack comes out, and everybody's like, "Oh, Jack's back!" You know, clapping. You know, <laughs> we're just so excited to see him. Uh but he doesn't he doesn't like react to the crowd. No, he's looking right at me because I'm first in line and he like strolls over and then like because he's so tall, he does this like little bow and like extends his hand and I put my hand in his and he was and then he like escorted me over to where he was doing the meet and greet. It was oh it was it was lovely. It was a dream come true. Oh man. <laughs> How how tall was he? Because I imagine somebody playing Jack Skellington has to be rather up there in height because he kind of towers oh, he was quite over tall. everybody. Mm-hmm. He was easily six four, six five. He was he was quite tall. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, yep. I I <laughs> six, six four and six five is very tall. I'm I'm gonna give you mm-hmm. that. But mm-hmm. just for just for comparison's sake, last year my school's basketball team had a player that was seven one. Oh no, no, he wasn't quite that tall, Jack. Jack, I mean, <laughs> wasn't quite that tall. Oh, Goodness gracious, man! Yeah, he didn't. He didn't need stilts. You threw that ball down to him, and he slam dunked it without hardly ever having to jump. Wow! Like, his wingspan was enormous. It was ridiculous. But um, he's playing professional ball now, so congratulations to him. Wow! Congrats. Um, got a little sidetracked there, but my sure. my point being, I would love to go back during the christmas season to experience mm. you know the the holiday thrill that you get blended with the magic that disney already encompasses mm-hmm. you know oh yeah like to Wonderful. to have to have the two of those things put together just sounds like an amazing amazing adventure and you know what here's the, here's the thing i'm i'm fully mm-hmm. expecting to get that immersive experience next year <gasps> because once Galaxy's Edge opens up, you can bet your Ooh. ass I'm going to be one of the first people in line. Yeah! Oh, that's so exciting. That's really cool. It's a really cool <laughs> thing to say that about a year from now, we're going to have a mm-hmm. Star Wars section of Disneyland for people to oh, experience. I'm so excited. If I think about it too too much, I just I pass out. I'm so excited for it's, <laughs> Galaxy's Edge. Oh my gosh. That combined with Episode Nine, combined mm-hmm. with... The, the crossover pod that we're expecting to do. Like, there's a mm-hmm. lot of reasons to be excited for December of 2019. That's for sure. Oh, certainly. Certainly. Also, Frozen 2 comes out that year. You know, that in that time of year. Oh, does it? I think it mm-hmm. It's mid-November, so not quite December, but... Is it going to be know, one of still... those Thanksgiving releases like Moana was? Yeah. Okay. I can, I can yeah. see that. 
Although mm-hmm. I, I personally, I would be more interested in a Moana two than a Frozen two. But <laughs> fair enough. But I get it. I mean, I get, yep. I get the hype. I was, I was a counselor at a summer camp, and you know, I was telling you about Texas heat, Texas summers. Mm-hmm. It was the middle of July, and everybody was <laughs> hot and sweaty and sticky. It was like one o'clock in the afternoon, and everybody had come together just after lunchtime, so everybody was like full. And you know, when you got a full belly, you get a little bit warmer, anyways. And Mm. so everybody was kind of hot and sticky and full and all that stuff. And we do this thing right after lunch where everybody kind of gets together and the campers watch the counselors put on these little skits and stuff. Yeah. While the counselors (laughs) were getting their costumes on for the skits and stuff, you lead them in different songs and whatnot. And some of them are campy songs like the Baby Shark song and things like that. (laughs) But um, we just happened to have... um, different soundtracks at our disposal as well and so in the middle of this texas heat this texas summer (laughs) they decided to play songs from the frozen soundtrack Mm -hmm. and it started (laughs) with a whole bunch of grown men singing do you want to build a snowman oh perfect and it finished with like half of the staff up on the stage doing a lip sync of let it go (laughs) <laughs> and all the kids joined in during the chorus and they were all standing up screaming singing at the top of their lungs hands flowing from side to side the way Elsa does <laughs> it was probably like the best frozen moment I ever experienced oh nice and it was in the heat of the summer so <laughs> it cooled people off it cooled their spirits you know? Oh, that's and great. And so for that reason, I do appreciate certain elements of this movie. But then there are other elements that you and I probably should not discuss. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. <laughs> it, it would turn into a very heated debate that sidetracks from the point of the evening, which was Nightmare Before Christmas. That's our, right, that's our right. Halloween topic for the night. And as I mentioned <laughs> earlier in the show, when you were actually away from us, Mm-hmm. Um, the reason that you weren't here for the beginning of the program was because you were actually watching it yes, in the theaters on yes! the big screen. Oh, it's so good. Tell us about <laughs> it. What was that like? Oh, it was wonderful. I've never seen it on the big screen before. Um, I, I've had opportunities to. I remember one year they re-released it on Halloween in 3D. Remember, uh, you know, like uh, maybe 10 years back, like 3D was a really big thing, you know? Yeah. It was like, yeah, there was like a resurgence in popularity for like 3D movies. And they were like, oh, Nightmare for Christmas in 3D. Why not? And I was just kind of like, no, I don't really want to see this movie in 3D. So I've never seen it in theaters. This is my first chance to. And I loved it so much. And there's just something about seeing it real big. I could see the textures on their clothing. Oh, you know, all wow. these. Yeah, all these little details that you can't quite appreciate when it's on your screen at home, you know, just become amplified when they're on the big screen. Uh, just, yeah, the, the textures that they chose for Sally's dress in particular, because she has this, like, patchwork dress, like, some some of the patches have a different texture than, than the other ones. And I was just, I was so in awe. I'd never been able to appreciate this movie quite in the same way as I did with it on the big screen. Oh, Zach, it was wonderful. <laughs> I imagine the songs were awesome to listen to on those big speakers, too. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. I wanted to sing along, but I didn't because it's not a sing along event. You know, <laughs> sometimes sometimes there's like special sing along events, like as you were saying, uh, for like Frozen. Where they you have know, the Frozen words at the is... bottom of the screen and they expect mm-hmm. you to sing along when the words light up. Exactly. Yep. But yeah, this wasn't a sing along, but I wanted to. I was singing along in my heart. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, see, I, 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 I'm, I'm very guilty of of doing mm-hmm. that when I'm watching movies with family and friends. And it's mm-hmm. to the point that people don't want to watch movies with me anymore because I do yeah. end up singing along eventually. <laughs> I, I just, I ha- or, or what's worse, uh, my sister, yeah. my sister calls me out on this a lot more than anybody else does. If we're watching uh-huh. a movie that I have completely memorized, uh-huh. I'll, end, oh, you I'll, say end up, the words. I'll end up mouthing them along with the character <laughs> and eventually attention turns to me as I per- like perfectly lip sync every line to the entire <laughs> movie right along with the characters. I'll do that with certain Star Wars movies. I'll do that with The Emperor's New Groove, with The Lion King. Um, you just want to be up there, like, acting it out, right? You I just... really could. I really could. Like, you know how some people will do one-man plays of things like Hamlet mm-hmm. or something like that, yeah. like Shakespeare? I could mm-hmm. do a one-man performance of The Lion King. Oh, I'd go to that. I'd go to your one-man show of The Lion King. <laughs> I bet a the lot Lion of Zach. people would. I bet a lot. I bet a lot of people would, would pay good money to see me <laughs> try and sing the song Be Prepared. And be both Scar and, By yourself. and the hyenas. Yes. Oh, I love it. Like... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I have to tell you, though, I think the best songs in, in theaters um, was um, the the town meeting song for some reason. I, I never fully appreciated, like, the town the, the town hall. You know when Zach... Zach. Jack. <laughs> yes. Zach Skellington. <laughs> Zach, yeah. Zach Skellington was singing in the background, or at least mouthing along. But then, like, you know, Jack being up there and just, you know, kind of just dancing around the hall and trying to get everybody hyped about Christmas. Mm-hmm. For some reason, the, the size of it, I don't know, made me appreciate that song more than I had before. I actually usually rank that song quite low when I'm thinking about, ooh, what are the big hits from this movie? And and I, I don't usually think about the Town Hall song, but seeing it big, I don't know, just made it perfect. Yeah, the, the, the town hall song kind of falls by the wayside. Poor Jack kind of falls by the wayside mm, at times. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they're they're both they're both really good songs. It's oh, just yeah. uh, it's just it's just not the ones that come into your mind. We played some of the highlights um, mm. that that kind of come to mind, like Jack's Lament and Making Christmas, and then the one that just I, it 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 makes my skin crawl. It oh, yeah. it, it really does. Oh. Oogie Boogie song. The Oogie, yeah. Okay, okay. So the Oogie Boogie <laughs> song is kind of creepy, and and that's that's a credit more more than anything. That that's a mm-hmm. credit to whoever um, is the is the voice of Oogie Boogie. It's Ken something, mm-hmm. I believe, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken Page. Mm-hmm. Ken Page is a great voice actor, but uh, more so than him, um, the kidnap the sandy claws song oh just creeps me <laughs> out partly because I of love that one partly because of the words and like what they want to do to him and mm-hmm. then also partly that it's three very shrill voices somehow singing in harmony oh. alongside a very deep and imposing melody yeah, like the oh, I feel the it. way that they blend those two things together. It's great, like it's a very, very well made song, 
but it also is just kind of it's it's one of those ones that makes me kind of squirm in my seat just a little bit. Mm-hmm. So um, we've we've actually got a, a discussion of uh, of bringing in what your what your favorite song was from this uh, from this movie because mm-hmm. it's a great mm-hmm. it's a great soundtrack. Uh, oh yeah, but uh, we don't we don't want to do that without Mr. Hart who had to step away for a couple of minutes. There, we're uh, we're in the process of bringing him back. So. Um, Katie, let's 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 take a step back before we get to to that question, and let me ask sure. let me ask you, compared to uh, tonight when you saw it on the big screen, can mm-hmm. can you compare it to the first time that you saw it? Like, what were your impressions the first time you ever saw this movie, and then how would you compare them to your experience tonight? I, uh, I the first time I ever saw this movie was on VHS. <laughs> oh, that 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 dates us. The fact that you saw oh, it yeah. on VHS and the fact that I know what a VHS is. Oh right, yeah. No, we're so old. <laughs> Look, I'm so old, two young eyes. <laughs> oh, um, so visually doesn't even compare. I I have just thinking about what quality the VHS tape must have been. You know, I. I, I don't even think I can remember it that clearly. Like I, I'm sure if I think if I think about it and try to imagine what the the picture quality of that VHS must have been, I see in my mind's eye I see like static along the edges of the screen. <laughs> I'm sure there wasn't, but that's how I remember it. <laughs> but uh, but as far as like um, storytelling goes, absolutely, I was I was impacted. I thought it was a very beautiful story and, and seeing that ending for the first time, the way Jack goes to Sally on, on the hill and, you know, walks up and sings to her so tenderly. And then of course, you know, Jack, Jack's heartbreak at the beginning, I, I really empathized with that character and, and, you know, just wanted to see him find happiness again. Uh, the first time I saw that movie, it was, it was just wham emotions in my chest. And, you know, then of course, uh, you know, watching it again and again and, 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 and listening to the soundtrack over and over again, it, it does dull the emotions a little bit, but, uh, tonight seeing it on the big screen really did. It felt like watching it for the first time again. I felt that big emotional hit and, and I cried at the end as, as Jack was singing so tenderly to Sally, I, I cried and cried cause it was so beautiful. So I really, I really do feel like I was watching it again for the first time. It's great. And then just visually, it was out of the park. I'd never seen the movie quite like that before. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the big screen just provides a totally mm-hmm. different perspective. And and I think that may be something that becomes a, a resurgence for the movie industry. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people are, are worried about, you know, is streaming going to take away the the effect uh, or the, or the, the money that is made at the movie theater. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like re-releases like this are going to become a more popular thing Be- oh, yeah. because oh, there, there are plenty of people that, you know, my age didn't get to see something like the lion King on the big screen. Mm-hmm. I would love to get to sing Hakuna Matata with all of my people in a big theater, you know? Oh my gosh, yeah, that movie is great and, it, on the big screen. I saw it, there was a re-release, yeah, maybe like 10 years ago or something, and, and I got to go to that, and just like the the antelope stampede oh, on the big yeah. screen, oh my gosh, it is 
scary. <gasps> you know the face that Simba makes as the antelope are like, you know, yes, running towards him? Yes. That's how you feel as an audience member. You're like, oh, dang. Like, oh, yes, that movie needs to come back to theaters. It It's epic on the big screen. Like, it's huge. What's What's really <laughs> sad is it only, like, certain movies, they did a they did a 25th anniversary showing of Jurassic Park around here. Oh, And yeah. I wanted to go, but it was only on a Saturday and a Sunday, and I had to work oh. that Saturday. Oh, that's a shame. And I couldn't get anybody to go with me on Sunday, and I didn't want to be that guy that went alone. No. And yeah. so I didn't get to see it and who knows they may do it like once a year or they may only do it like every 5 years or something like that. I plan on seeing it again and I plan on seeing mm-hmm. other movies like this again. But I feel like if if movie theaters are going to make a resurgence, they need to have modern movies but they need to have maybe like a throwback Thursday element Ooh, where yeah. every Thursday one of the theaters is showing something like Back to the Future. Or something like that. Mm-hmm. That, that gives you a yeah, little yes. bit of a nostalgia trip and lets you relive stuff that maybe you didn't get to see before because you were too young or weren't born yet. Or it's mm-hmm. something that, you know, somebody else wants to go back and relive. I think a nostalgia trip is definitely warranted in the theaters these days. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do believe we've actually got Mr. Hart back with us. Do you do we have <gasps> do we have Hart? I guess you do. I, I I feel like there's been a coup or something. You know, I leave for five minutes, come back, and there's somebody else in my spot. Um, no. <laughs> oh, no, is this no. your chair? Is this your seat? <laughs> no, no. I no. I appreciate you keeping it warm, and I appreciate you being here, Katie. This is an unexpected surprise. Glad to of have course. you, and glad to hear your thoughts on this movie. Because I mean, let's be honest. I don't think any of us thought about this movie without thinking of you too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, no. I'm super. I was telling Zach, I'm super excited to hear uh, your guys' thoughts. I'm super excited to go back and listen to the parts of the show that I missed because I I have never met anyone who's never seen this movie. Like not even at home, you know. Man, she's gonna be really disappointed when she hears the rant about me hating this movie. <gasps> oh no! <laughs> no, no. Ben, this Spoiler is Halloween, alert. not April Fools, you troll. Oh, good. I was Every day, like, unfriended. April blocked (laughs) yeah that would be the reaction from her that would be you know you i would just never see you again oh man well so uh we we got we got some overall thoughts from from you katie and and obviously ben and i have done some some overall thoughts but moving to the to the next point in the show reel um what what we've got here on our on our notes tablet if you guys have that open uh, next question is just favorite scene or Katie, can you even pick a favorite scene from this beautiful, uh, 76 minutes that we're given? Um, yeah, it's definitely a tie between, uh, Jack's lament at the beginning and, and then his scene with, uh, Sally. That's both, both those scenes that take place on the, on the snowy hill. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. They're just in terms of artistry, I think those scenes just can't can't be beat. Um, of course, yeah, there's lots of of beautiful and well animated scenes throughout this entire movie. But it, in terms of like um, just pure emotion coming through in animation, you know, when I think about the 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 painstaking process of of moving these these claymation figures, you know, just little inches at a time, and to create this wonderful fluid movement. You know, and, and 
oh gosh, just the, yeah, the way Jack moves, the way he sings, the way then he and Sally sing together. It's that's perfect. It's beautiful. My favorite. Yeah, that's it. And it's a, it's a tie. My favorite scene. Well, but the two of them really tie together. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, definitely. Like it's, yeah. It's 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 a way of understanding their story arc because at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. he's he's alone. He's lonely. He's isolated. Mm-hmm. He he feels like his his work is meaningless. And at the end of the movie, he's got a meaning again. He he's got his identity found again, and he's not alone. Instead of Sally watching him, Sally's with him. And so mm-hmm. you've you've got some great character development over the course of the movie that you example, uh, you get an example of, and you get to examine just looking at how things start compared to how things end. It's great storytelling. Oh, absolutely. Well, mm-hmm. well put, <laughs> Ben. What what about you? Oh man, I I'm gonna have to go with the what's this scene. <laughs> just I knew it was coming, but then seeing it, I'm like. This has got to be good. Like, the leader of Halloween Town stumbling into Christmas Town. Like, this is the best Christmas movie ever. Just this, just a couple minutes of someone that's, it's like I said earlier, like, it's so foreign. It's mm-hmm. so weird. And to him going, what's this? Like, literally, <laughs> in song going, what's this? There's snow. There's presents. People are ha- are happy, but in a different happy, and they're they're it's all cheerful and joyful. Like, what is this stuff? Like, so I love <laughs> the whole process of him finding it out, and then going, of course, going back to Halloween Town, going, "Hey guys, look what I found." <laughs> I love how he plays with all of this stuff while while he's like you know running around Christmas Town. You know, he holds up the lights to his face and yes. he's you know eating snow and and you know, he makes himself into a snowman. <laughs> it's so cute. It. Well, he 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 gets the the all inclusive package. The the Im- he's immersing himself in the culture. Is that is that mm-hmm. what, is that what you call it? Some, something <laughs> something to that effect. That, um, that makes sense. It, it's it's kind of interesting that you bring that up, Ben, because that's actually what we were going to use for our quote of the night. Yeah. If uh, if y'all are willing to take like a, a brief three minute break in the discussion, we'll actually bring in the the quote of the night for everybody to have a chance to listen to as Jack experiences Christmas Town for the very first time. What's this? What's this? There's color everywhere. What's this? There's white things in the air. What's this? I can't believe my eyes. I must be dreaming. Wake up, Jack. This isn't fair. What's this? What's this? What's this? There's something very wrong. What's this? There's people singing songs. What's this? The streets are lined with little creatures laughing. Everybody seems so happy. Have I possibly gone daffy? What is this? What's this? There's children throwing snowballs instead of throwing heads. They're busy building toys and absolutely no one's dead. There's frost in every window. Oh, I can't believe my eyes. And in my bones I feel the warmth that's coming from inside. Oh, look, what's this? The hanging mistletoe. They kiss? Why, that looks so unique. Inspired! The gathering around here is story roasting chestnuts on a fire. What's this? What's this? In here, they've got a little tree. How queer! And who would ever think? And why? They're covering it with tiny little things. They've got electric lights on strings, and there's a smile on everyone. So now correct me if I'm wrong. This looks like fun, this looks like fun. Oh, could it be? I got my wish. What's this? 
Oh my, what now? The children are asleep. But look, there's nothing underneath. No ghouls, no witches here to scream and scare them or ensnare them. Only little cozy things secure inside their dreamland. <sighs> What's this? The monsters are all missing and the nightmares can't be found And in their place there seems to be good feeling all around Instead of screams I swear I can hear music in the air The smell of cakes and pies are absolutely everywhere The sights, the sounds, they're everywhere and all around I've never felt so good before This empty place inside of me is filling up I simply cannot get enough I want it, oh I want it, oh I want it for my own I've got to know, I've got to know What is this place that I have found? What? Christmas time? Man, his discovery is just so beautiful because he's so innocent in all of that discovery. All he's doing is just looking around. He's just experiencing these things for the first time. And I can't imagine what it must be like to be completely foreign to such a, a wonderful day like Christmas and then you've had years and years and years built up around, you know, something completely different. And now you get to experience all this essentially as an adult for the first time. But you get to experience that childlike wonder of Christmas. It's, they, they bring it across so incredibly well. It's so genuine. I agree. Just in very earnest, the, the way he as you say, discovers all the stuff, like his eyes have been opened. He He's only ever known one thing and that's dread and, and fright and, uh, and all these wonderful things about Halloween. But you know, there's, there's other, there's more to life <laughs> and Christmas and warmth are, is wonderful too. And just, I love his love for Christmas. <laughs> his, his enthusiasm is mm -hmm. amazing, even though it can be somewhat misguided at times. True. And, yeah. <laughs> and also, I just love the whole foil of Jack Skellington, that he is this very, I mean, just looking at him, like if you, if you took someone that didn't know who he was, the context mm -hmm. of this movie, like he looks very scary and very fearsome. And you would assume that maybe what he was saying was, ha ha ha, I've come to Christmas time, I'm going to burn it down. <laughs> no, he's not saying that at all. He's very innocent and very childlike. And they'll go, what's this? Snow? This is... And he's not like, what is this crap? Like the Grinch. It's, yeah. <laughs> what is this? This is wonderful. This is the best. I thought Halloween was awesome. This is even better. <laughs> It's just, it, you know, the way he, he's looking at everything, he's like, wow, how strange. You know, the idea that you would stand under mistletoe and kiss? Well, that looks so unique, inspired. <laughs> he's so he's so just in awe of it. I, I love that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so there, there's some people that are like the Grinch that are just trying to shut it all down. There's people mm -hmm. like Jack who are super inspired by it. And then there's there's other people who just are trying to make sense of it all. Um, mm -hmm. I've, I've I've got I've got I've got to tell y'all a quick little sidebar story. It's actually a story about um, Easter, but it, it's it's a very similar concept to being completely foreign to an idea. Um, one year we celebrated Easter with my aunt and uncle, and um, they had these new neighbors that had just moved from either I, I want to say they moved they they had recently moved from China. And they had no idea about Western culture all that much. 
And so Christmas and, and Easter and, you know, other holidays were just not something that they were very used to. So as, a, as an attempt to, you know, welcome them to the neighborhood, they invited uh, these neighbors to participate in the Easter festivities. And my aunt's trying to explain what Easter is and <laughs> what it means to the Christian culture. And when she was finally done explaining it, this was the neighbor's synopsis. She goes, <laughs> so a guy died thousands of years ago. And then a few days later, he came back to life. So today you celebrate by finding plastic eggs that were hidden by an imaginary rabbit. <laughs> yep. No, that sounds right. That's that's it. That's pretty much it. <laughs> She's not wrong. I nailed it. <laughs> She's not wrong. <laughs> but that's, that's just the thing is eventually we get all these different traditions kind of mixed up. And so we're like, okay, so this this baby was born and to celebrate it a fat guy slides down our chimney and gives us presents in socks <laughs> like when you when you do a synopsis like that the holiday just seems totally off it's so yeah. it's so weird and that's kind of what jack's experiencing is he's never heard of christmas never been a part of christmas <laughs> and yet he's still trying to find a way to make sense of it all and and he's he's embracing this this newness with a vigor that I I've really never seen from any other character before. Yeah, uh, yeah and I I love how he then tries to explain Christmas to the to the residents of Halloween Town. Yep. He's like, okay, he's like, okay, so we're gonna hang a, a sock on the wall, and they all just assume that there's gonna be a foot inside. They're like, okay, we're with you. There's a foot. <laughs> In there, and, and he's like, no, 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 okay, there's no foot inside, but there's candy. And they're like, what? What? <laughs> like, what? That's not, why Why would you put candy in there? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which means you then have to go watch the the animated Santa Claus is Coming to Town special. Oh, right. <laughs> and find out why he leaves presents in stockings. The, the Rankin-Bass one? Yes, yeah. <laughs> the Rankin-Bass one. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's something we're going to have to talk about in a couple of months. Um, mm-hmm. For for right now, I mean, What's This is obviously a, a, a great a great song. We talked about some other great music from, from this soundtrack. Uh, is it possible to find just one song that you particularly enjoy? We've played a lot tonight. Did any of those stick out to you, or was there one that you just enjoyed more than the others from your viewing experience tonight, Katie? Oh, gosh. It's... <laughs> I, I loved what Ben was talking about with What's This? That song's amazing. The This is Halloween, the big town song at the beginning yeah. is also amazing. Yeah, the way it sets up the atmosphere of the town. Um, oh, one line that I've always like super appreciated was when they say... Um, uh, this our town. Uh, uh, this is Halloween, but but we're not mean in yeah. our town of Halloween. That it, like immediately, it's like if you're scared by everything that we're showing you, you know, all these ghosts flying around. No, 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 no. We live here. We're right. not mean. We're just we just happen to be monsters. <laughs> so I, I've always thought that was really great. Is it? Can I pick a favorite song? Probably not. I'll probably just end up repeating myself saying that the you know Jack's Lament is probably my favorite, <laughs> and the Sally song at the end with uh, with Jack and Sally together. That's, their duet. that's the interesting thing is we really don't have any mm-hmm. any quotes that are spoken word. A lot mm. a lot of the best elements from this movie, a lot of the finest lines, 
are presented in song format. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, yeah. There's no there's not a lot of conversations, there's not a lot of monologues, it's all with music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it like if you were to pick a monologue, it would be Jack's Lament. Oh, definitely. Essentially. Yeah. And so, you know, that's that's one of the interesting elements of this movie is that you're you're watching all these things and it's just mostly in song format. They fit like ten songs into seventy minutes. So you're basically getting a song of some sort every seven minutes. Yeah, I was I was thinking like I was trying to think of what what are some of my favorite quotes and all my favorite quotes come from songs like the part where they're like uh something's wrong with Jack. Uh he's all the way up there locked away inside. He hasn't said a word. Hope he hasn't died. I love that. Yeah, he's a pile of bones. How can he die? Right. I know. You know, you know what is like... death to them. So, okay. I, I may be I may be speaking to the wrong crowd here, but have have mm. either of you watched the show Veggie Tales by any chance? Oh, I'm familiar. I know what it is. I haven't watched it, but I know what it I'll, is. I see a little bit of it, a little bit. Okay, I I kind of grew up on it. Um, my brother and sister definitely grew up on it, so I kind of watched it by osmosis. They they did one episode of um, Daniel in the Lion's Den. It was a lot of biblical stories back in the day. And um, the, th- the, 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 the wise teachers that could not interpret the king's dream decided to plot against Daniel because Daniel could tell the dream. And it was these stalks of celery, I believe. Okay. Pacing, pacing around in a circle. And they sang this musical number about how they didn't like Daniel and wanted to get rid of him. And they sang these things about we could drag him to the ocean and have him eaten by a whale. We could set his hair on fire. We could we could throw him in a in a in a cell never to be seen again. Like they were doing all these things that they were like plotting about what they were going to do to get rid of Daniel. And that song reminded me of Kidnap the Santa Claus. <laughs> because they were talking about what they were gonna do to Santa when they got to him. Um the um what was what was I getting at? There was another song, the the one about poor Jack. Hope he hasn't died. It re- mm-hmm. it reminded me of the servants that sing about poor Professor Higgins from My Fair Lady. <laughs> Nobody, no, no. Sorry, Jeez. <laughs> sorry. Jeez, there's there's we're this... uncultured swine. I <laughs> uh, know, I know. I'm making two references. I tried, I tried <laughs> so hard to make two different references, but when when they're when they're singing when they're singing about Jack. Uh, there, there's one part mm-hmm. where, where Eliza, who is the, the professor's project, is really the one that's getting overworked. And so the ah. song about poor Professor Higgins is pretty much sung tongue-in-cheek. It's kind of an irony because oh. he's not the one that's really working hard. She is. And yet the servants are singing about poor Professor Higgins. He's working night and day, <laughs> that kind of thing. And, oh. and thought that he was going to collapse of exhaustion and things like that. And so it just it, both of those I had these moments where I was reminded of something else, which is is good storytelling because if it if it makes you have you know memories of something else, then it just further inspires the imagination. Oh, oh. yeah, I'll I'll make that my favorite song tonight is when when yeah they're they're singing something's wrong with Jack, something's up with Jack, and Jack is up in his tower. Um, doing all those little experiments and trying to figure out Christmas. And then he sings, you know, uh, just because I cannot see it doesn't mean I can't believe it. And he's like mm. dancing around with mm-hmm. his Christmas tree. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he, I, oh, he that thinks, one was wonderful. He thinks he's finally got it. It's not something that you can you can measure. It's just something that you feel. Yeah. And, and to a certain degree, he's right. Like, he was kind of getting into the Christmas spirit. It's just that his idea of what Christmas should look like was a little warped because he was brought up on Halloween culture. Yeah. Well, in the way um, I was struck tonight seeing it on the big screen, in that song in particular, the way Jack just kind of, he's so exhausted, he just kind of like drapes himself backwards across his chair like with 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 a with a hand on his forehead and he just looks like so extra like he's so dramatic <laughs> like he's like where's my fainting couch uh and i was like i was cool just so amused. drama queen exactly i was just so amused by how dramatic he was i think that's my favorite tonight is just jack being a drama queen <laughs> He he was he was pretty extra, and given how much we've talked about Jack compared to the other characters, I don't want to speak mm-hmm. for anybody here, but one of the questions that we ask on most of our episodes when we're doing movie reviews is, who was your favorite character? Do we even need to fill in that blank? No. <laughs> ben? Um, that's a tough one for me. Oh, yeah? I think. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess Jack is the obvious choice. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Jack. Yeah, I'm going to go with Jack. Yeah, you're right. It's an obvious choice. I'm, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it can feel a little too obvious, but at the same time, he's probably, like, the most sympathetic character. Like, he, oh, he, he's the one yeah. that just almost everybody kind of gravitates towards. Everybody else is a supporting cast member assisting Jack. Even- Sally's almost the hero, though, because she's... I do. <laughs> I do really like the mayor, though. I oh, like the, the mayor. mayor's great. I, yeah, the mayor's okay. great because he has this the, the head that swivels around, and then he has the one line about, I can only do so much. I'm only elected, elected official. <laughs> like, that's uh, uh, that's a little too true. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, the, can I? Real. Can I tell you what I really love about Sally? Because I love Sally. We do need to give we need we do need to give her her dues because you're right. She she is kind of the hero. She saves Jack. She saves um the she saves Santa to a certain extent. She saves mm-hmm. she saves Christmas. So yes, please, yeah. please let's give oh. Sally her due. Something I really appreciate about Sally is that, you know, she she was made by this professor to to cook and clean for him, you know, to do these things that have been traditionally seen as women's work, you yeah. know, cooking, cleaning, sewing, yeah. you know, the, these things, these um, menial chores that are just really devalued by society because, you know, why would you pay someone to do it when women will just do it for free, right? <laughs> well, since she was made to do these things, these things then become her weapons, you know, she she's being made to cook and clean for for Dr. Finkelstein. So she just poisons him. She's like, yeah, I'll clean for you, but I'll poison you to, to get what she wants. And then when she has to escape the tower, she just throws herself out of it because she can sew herself back up. These these little tasks that, you know, they're like, well, we'll, we'll make Sally do the chores. Those then become her weapons. And I love that about her. I love it so much. Well, and then she uses those strengths to help save the day too like Mm -hmm. it's it's great it's great empowerment for her personally and then great empowerment for you know being Mm -hmm. able to 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 take the things that that make you great and not just use it for your own purposes and your own benefits but also be able to use it to help save others 
Yeah, she, uh, you know, because she, uh, she took herself apart, you know, picked out her, her stitches so that she could save Sandy Claus. You know, she made her hands run off and do something else. Mm-hmm. Like her feet hopped off and did something else. Like that was really cool. It was. It was. It was a very mm-hmm. creative way to tell to tell that kind of a story. Um, yeah. I mean that, that that that's just that's just one adjective that I would use for this movie was creative. Mm-hmm. The, this story is one that only Tim Burton could weave. Like he he deserves so much credit for the the way that he created this movie and the way that it was made to ebb and flow. I mean, just mm-hmm. just fantastic. Fantastic story and one that you... one that I'm glad we got to experience. Yeah, did you know that it was uh, it was first a poem that he wrote? Yes, I did. I yeah. did hear that. He he wrote he wrote the poem years before, and then mm-hmm. they they took it and applied it to to a movie script. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in the poem, there was only three characters. There was Jack, Zero, and Sandy Claus, and that was it. Every everything else they uh, they invented for the movie, and you know, they added music and stuff, and, and really you know beefed up the plot so that it could you know um, fit. It, it could be a, a much longer story. Uh, than, than just the tiny little poem. The poem is cute. <laughs> they made it into a children's book. If you ever want to read it, it's really cute. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I just recently picked up the Tales of Beetle the Bard, so maybe that should oh, nice. be the next thing that I that I buy. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I posted on my social media. I've been I've been posting about movies a whole whole lot lately, including like recent DVD pickups and stuff that I've gotten. And I was like, you know what? I need to counterbalance this with some books. And so yeah. <laughs> uh, I put out my to read list along with my to watch list not too long ago. So if you want to see what I'm going to be sticking my nose into in the not too distant future, go find me at Zach underscore DFW. But nice. um, it's time for the two biggest questions of the night. And um, hopefully we've saved enough time at the, at the tail end of this to actually, you know, really, really debate this. Cause I feel like this is one question that uh, has has plagued people for 25 years. <laughs> is this a Christmas movie or is it a Halloween movie? Debate. Oh, I want to hear what you guys think first because <laughs> I have very strong feelings. Uh-oh, this is going to be interesting. Ben? See, I don't have very strong feelings because... Uh-oh. Okay, one <laughs> right. thing. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, this, this is going to be This is going to be the most heated discussion we've had in months and you're going, I have no strong opinion on this. Thanks. <laughs> this you didn't or you didn't tell me to go at it or whatever we're supposed to do with the tangent thing. So uh so no. I I wasn't prepared for this and halfway through watching this movie, I started pondering this question. I'm going, you know, and and my logic to, you know towards the middle was, okay, we're spending a lot of time in Halloween town. So this is a Halloween movie, but they're creating Christmas in Halloween Town, so it should be a Christmas movie. But it's all about Halloween Town, so it should be a Halloween. It you you keep going back and forth. It's really the chicken and the egg thing, like it really is that. Um, so I don't know what you guys think, but like, it really comes down. I think you could go either way. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to give my hot take. Here's here's Mr. Man in the Middle, and I, <laughs> I, I have I have a hunch about what Katie's answer might be. 
Okay. So <laughs> I'm going to try and be on the flip side of this. And this is really how I feel as well. Okay. All even, right. Even though, even though it has the word Christmas in the title, I feel like it's more of a Halloween movie. Explain. Elaborate. Um, well, you start with the movie being on Halloween night, for one. You have the opening number being about Halloween. And like Ben said, you're in Halloween town for a vast majority of the movie. Everything is very oriented on the spook factor, on the factor of the holiday. The fact that the mayor is counting down the days until the next Halloween. Everybody is such in a Halloween groove that even when Christmas is introduced to the town, they cannot fully break free from who they are, and that is people of Halloween. Christmas then becomes, I don't want to call it tainted, but affected because of the deep Halloween culture in Halloween town. Shrunken heads being given as presents, snakes <laughs> instead of stockings, bones instead of actual reindeer. There's so many things that keep trying to be Christmas, that keep wanting to be Christmas, but keep being held back by the Halloween influence. I feel like even though Jack embraces the Christmas spirit... After he gets shot down by the military, he recognizes he's not cut out to be a Christmas character. And when he rises from those ashes, he talks about how he embraces his role as the Pumpkin King. And how next Halloween is going to be even bigger and better than the previous one. He's found his passion for Halloween again because of his experience and joy that he felt from Christmas. Yes, Christmas plays a factor, a very heavy factor, as they try and quantify it to understand it, to get into the spirit of things. But it's like trying to teach an old dog new tricks. This city, this group, even our star, is so used to Halloween that they don't truly ever break free from it until Santa Claus drops snow onto Halloween Town at the end of the movie. It's not even something that Jack does. It's not even something that he produces. It's something that the person of Christmas brings to them at the very end of the film. If it was if it was to be about Christmas, Christmas would have gone a whole lot smoother and a whole lot better for him. He knows at the end of the movie to stick to Halloween and apparently he does even though he has an appreciation for Christmas now because he got a taste of it. Well, everything you just said, except that's why I think it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> oh, See, boy. for me, yeah, I this, this is a Christmas movie because, one, it's about how great Christmas is because Christmas is great. I love Christmas. Oh, I do, too. And Christmas, I do, Christmas too. is so great. This movie is about how Christmas is so great that even the king of Halloween loves Christmas. <laughs> 
And so, like, all you, uh, everything you were saying about how, you know, um, at the end, Santa comes and, and brings snowfall to Halloween Town, that, to me, is what makes it a Christmas movie. Because, um, you know, what, what Jack is looking for, to, to me, really, is, is a connection, togetherness. The spirit of Christmas, for me, at least, is... It's the Christmas is the time of year that brings people together in a way that Halloween doesn't. Halloween doesn't bring people together the way Christmas does. And when Christmas finally comes to Halloween Town at the end, when all that snow comes to Halloween Town, I mean, yes, they they blend their holidays. You know, Jack wishes Merry Christmas to Santa. Santa wishes Happy Halloween to Jack. I think ultimately you see the town brought together and enjoy the way they, they just weren't with Halloween. And then that's when Jack and Sally are finally able to be together is, you know, under this great snowfall. And that's what makes it a Christmas movie to me is, you know, they, they all they all finally came together. That's the meaning of Christmas, you guys. That's every Christmas movie. <laughs> <laughs> is that it doesn't matter how you celebrate. It doesn't matter how you got gifts, you know, as long as you're together. Well, unfortunately, due to a technical error, we weren't able to keep Katie on the call for the entirety of the show, but we do, as always, appreciate and value her input, and we appreciate her being on the show on such mm -hmm. short notice. It was very spontaneous, and uh, it was great to have that spontaneity be a part of the evening. Thank you to Katie Horn. Go follow her at Dameron on Twitter if you want to keep up with all of her musings. She was very, very excited about Jack Skellington's birthday, and we're glad that we got to celebrate it with her for a little bit tonight. And uh, there's plenty more of that type of spirit to go around on her Twitter page, so be sure to go follow her. Indeed. Um, let me see. While we're talking about following, go ahead and follow us as well if you aren't already. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at IPC Podcast. And you can follow us personally on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Hart with no E. Just spell that out phonetically. And Zach, Z-A-C underscore D-F-W, that's me, on the interwebs. You can find all of our episodes on ipcpodcast.podbean.com. I know iTunes and Google Play may be a little bit behind as far as some things that are getting up. I know that, like, recently one of our Hobbit episodes took over a week to upload for some reason. I don't know why. But if you want to find everything and find it super up-to-date, just be sure to follow us at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. And you can find certain episodes on StarWarsUnderworld.com, like I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, quick shout-out to our patrons, the ones who help keep the lights on for us. Joey Mays, the, the lovely Katie Horn, who just joined us on the program. Jake Damon, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, and Parker Ott. You guys are the ones that help pay for Podbean's streaming service. You help pay for the tickets that we go to see certain movies at. And you take care of a whole lot of other things that we just could not do this show without you. So thank you very much for helping make IPC possible. If you want to become a patron, go find us at patron.podbean.com forward slash IPC podcast. Oh, yeah. Now, real quick, Ben, um, what's your planet score for this movie? What do you give it out of 10? Who? You know what? You know what? I'm going to give this one a 10 out of 10. 
Dang, man. Dang, high praise. Super high praise. Um, you know what? I, I really don't find any flaws with this movie. Me neither. So so I, I totally see where the 10's coming from. I just don't give very many movies a 10. I understand. Just period. For, for me, I enjoyed the characters, the music, the plot, everything about it I really enjoyed. Um, it's not exactly my style. It's not the kind of story that I would watch again and again and again the way Katie probably would. But it's good for this time of year. It's good for this particular season. So I'm going to give it a 9. I, I enjoy it, but it's not something that I would watch on a regular basis, like all, all, all the time. So that's just that's just kind of where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. We promised you guys um, a, a preview of what's going to come in the next two months. Very simply, uh, November, we're going to be in the Wizarding World and uh, observing Thanksgiving. And December, it's going to be very holiday-oriented. If you liked hearing Nightmare Before Christmas, be sure to tune in in December for what we're going to call our holiday specials. There's usually a Star Wars movie to talk about in December, but there's not this year, so we get to go back to our roots and talk about the holidays, which is going to be fun. So... um, let me see. We're going to have Deathly Hallows Part 2 and both of the Fantastic Beasts movies in November. And then December, it's going to be a trip around uh, the North Pole, essentially. Yeah. So, um, I know that that's a little brief, condensed version of what we promised, but we followed through. That's the stuff you can look forward to. And then 2019, we're already working on that schedule. It's the end of October, but we're already working on what we're going to talk about in January and February, all the way from October through December of next year. Our schedule is well in the works, and it's going to be a fun one. So be sure to stick with us in 2019. It promises to be a lot of fun. Oh, it's going to be great. Speaking of fun, we've got one more fun element to discuss tonight before we call it a night, and I think you know what it is, don't you, Ben? I think I I, I think I do. Maybe I do. Maybe you I better. don't. You better. I mean, we've been doing this for over two hundred episodes. You should certainly know this by now. I, I think would hope. I got the idea. I would. I would certainly hope so. Uh, but, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to get out those hashtags. Start putting them in the chat. Uh, no, you're not going to do that because you're not listening live. But if you're on social media, if you're on social media, if you're listening on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you get this podcast from, go put it on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, anything else that might carry a hashtag. Because it's time, one more time, for that iconic segment of the IPC podcast, hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 Alright, so... Uh, this one, it may seem kind of obvious, but again, it's also not kind of obvious. And I can guarantee you it's not something that we've talked about on this show before. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, tonight's topic is the notion of pumpkin spice barbecue. Oh, you had to go there, didn't you? I totally did. I'm going to be that in a world, extra. In a world where there's literally everything pumpkin spice, not even barbecue is safe. 
Not even barbecue, my friend. And and here's the thing. I've grown to have a deeper appreciation for the concept of pumpkin spice ever since my sister started working for Starbucks. Uh, okay. Because there's a lot of people that love this pumpkin spice idea. And now she's complaining because we're getting closer to the Christmas season. My sister's like, they're introducing a new drink like every week. Because they're going to have the the eggnog latte and the, the snickerdoodle latte. And they've got this new witch's brew frappuccino that you have to make. And so there's there's all these different kinds of, of drinks out there that, that Starbucks is, is in the habit of making. But pumpkin spice is the most popular for whatever reason. But it got me thinking. Because we use different rubs and different sauces on our meats when we slow cook them. And given that it's Halloween, and given that pumpkins and jack-o'-lanterns are that kind of thing, and we have, you know, pumpkin pie and stuff during Thanksgiving, this seems about the appropriate season to bring up the idea of something pumpkin spice related. Fair enough. What about a pumpkin spice rub instead of a hickory rub or something like that on our meats, on our barbecue, on our ribs, on our brisket, on our... Uh, you know, the, it, as a as a seasoning tossed into our pulled pork, what would that look like? What would that smell like? What would that taste like? Do you think that would be interesting? Because you'd kind of through the rub, you'd have it embedded in the meat, exactly. Of, you know, woven into kind of this texture, and I think that would work better than saying, "Oh, just throw some pumpkin spice, whatever, on uh, on the ribs or whatever." Like, you could do so many different things with that, and I think it would perhaps taste better. It would be more subtle in a way. It wouldn't be as in-your-face about it. It would be more, hey, this has got pumpkin spice in it or whatever. I can see that happening, and someone much smarter than I am, I'm sure, could pull that off. I mean, if the if the pumpkin spice is included in, like, the coffee drink, it's got to be infused into the coffee somehow, right? So so yeah. pumpkin pumpkin spice in and of itself is something that can be extracted obviously. If it if it can be if it can be extracted for coffee purposes, I don't see any reason why it can't be extracted for slow cooking purposes. Yeah. I really don't. I just don't know if I know anybody brave enough to try it. Because the the, the notion of pumpkin spice is so it, it's so didactic, you know. You're you're either the person that falls into the category of I love it, I, I I gotta have it every time it's in season, or you're the person that's like it's so overdone, it's so overused, I I don't want anything to do with it. And I hate to say it, but I feel like most of the barbecue cooking regime, most of the people that fall under the the preparation of barbecue, may be in that camp that doesn't want anything to do with pumpkin spice. <laughs> I'm just going out on a limb here. There may be a few out there. But for the most part, I think they would consider it risking good meat for the sake of experimentation. Right. Like, why would you do that to a perfectly good slab of ribs if it doesn't turn out well? You've wasted those ribs, you know? But... I feel like given the time of year and and given how unique it could be and given how pumpkin spice is just so popular for certain camps, um, it, it's it's worth the risk. 
So I'm I'm in the camp of let's try pumpkin spice barbecue and see how it goes. I'm sure there's a way to get that pumpkin spice extract, and then I could just put it into my own pulled pork at home, you know? Something like that. And and just try it myself before putting it on like a full slack uh, a full a full rack of ribs or a full slab of, of brisket or something like that. Start your start your way in slowly, ease your way into it, and then see what happens. Experimentation. You never know what you could have come up with. And you never know what we're going to talk about here on the IPC podcast. It was very spontaneous, but also very fun talking about a new movie on Halloween night. Got the whole spooky element, and we got a guest appearance by uh, somebody who is a huge, huge fan of the movie and a, a fan of both Halloween and Christmas. So again, another thank you to Katie Horn for joining us. Uh, sad that we couldn't say our goodbyes in person, but uh, we know that she's there in spirit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in spirit. See what I did there? It was a pun. You can't have an episode of IPC without one of Zach's famous puns, can you? No. This is the, the – our second name is the Intergalactic Pun Coalition. So, you know, we got to have them. Yep, we absolutely do. Um, We're saying our goodbyes to Katie in text format because her (laughs) internet is being dumb. So again, screw you, Comcast. Right, we're we're gonna publicly shame Comcast for for having for having apparently pre-scheduled something or another that they were pre-scheduled scheduled maintenance. Scheduled you scheduled maintenance in the middle of our podcast. Screw you guys. Yeah, for real. So, don't get Comcast if you want to have a podcast. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh burn! See what I did there? You feel that burn? Ooh, yeah. Get some, get some ice and rub it on that burn. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, geez, I- I'm really looking forward to next week's episode. I'm really looking forward to what we've got for the rest of the year. But Ben, unless you have any other thoughts, I think. It's time to call it a night. I think it is, and um, I'm sad to see this go, but this was a lot of fun. I'm so glad Katie was able to join us, and as I was just telling her in the chat, like, it's kind of bummed that we started the show without her, because I'm like, it would be really fun to have her on the show, and then lo and behold, she just shows up, and um, Mm -hmm. got to have a good discussion with her, and I really enjoyed this movie, I really enjoyed the discussion, and talking with you and her, and it's been a lot of fun, and uh, talk to you guys next week well next week we head back to the wizarding world i believe yeah we do we we did uh deathly hallows part one last week we're gonna have this one sandwiched in the middle and then we got uh deathly hallows part two next week the epic conclusion of harry potter's story is going to be discussed right here on the ipc podcast but that is going to do it for tonight episode 213 is now officially in the books please stick around after i say our goodbyes because we've got a special surprise for you as our outro music uh but for ben and katie i'm zach saying thank you for tuning in this week we hope that you tune in next week but until then We just want to leave you with this final thought. Evil is not born. It is taught. We hope to see all you evil Halloween ghouls next time on IPC. But until then, good night, everyone. I was working in the lab late one night When my eyes beheld an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly... To my surprise, he did the match. 
He did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. He did the mash. It caught on in a flash. He did the mash. He did the monster mash. From my laboratory in the castle east to the master bedroom where the vampires feast. The ghouls all came from their humble abode to get a jolt from my electrode. They did the mash. They did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. They did the mash. It caught on in a flash. They did the mash. They did the monster mash. The zombies were having fun. The party had just begun. The guests included Wolfman, Dracula, and his son. The scene was rocky. All were digging the sounds. Igor on chains, backed by his baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five. They played the mash. They played the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. They played the mash. It caught on in a flash. They played the mash. They played the monster mash. Out from his coffin, Rex's voice did ring. Seemed he was troubled by just one thing. Opened the lid and shook his fist and said, "Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist?" It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. The monster mash. And it's a graveyard smash. It's now the mash. It's caught on in a flash. It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. Now everything's cool. Drax a part of the band, and my monster mash. Hit of the land for you, the living. This mash was meant to. When you get to my door, tell them what is said. Then you can mash. Then you can monster mash. The monster mash. And do my graveyard smash. Then you can mash. You'll catch on and all fly. Then you can mash. Then you can monster.